the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, it's gotten loud here. Everybody, uh, I guess, was just relaxing yesterday, and now they showed up to Capitol to start partying. I don't know who it is, but they showed up in the rotunda, and they started cheering, and they started chanting, and they're just making a whole lot of noise behind me. So if sometimes it's hard to understand what's going on, that's what's happening. I'm, I'm looking over. R.D. Hopper is here. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, Dave. Did you doing have a great. good day off yesterday? Oh, yeah. Did you close down business for a day? Oh, yeah, right. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, I thought no, maybe I was you did. working. No, no, oh, okay. I don't have banker's hours. Oh, okay, so anyway, I did. I was off. Okay. <laughs> I was off yesterday. And, um, of course, we've got uh, Paul Calvert's here. I am. As we call him, the Old Testament prophet. <laughs> he has joined us today. And uh, Jan Morgan will not be here. She's working with a lady who's going to be here in central Arkansas over the next few days. Chris Ann Hall. That's who it is. Yeah, and, and she said today is the only day that she kind of had to, to do things that she needed to do to get ready. And so she's getting ready, are whatever gonna, that means. Are we going to have Chris, on, Chris Ann Hall on the radio with us? I don't know. If she comes by, she can sit down and talk to us. I bet, I bet we can arrange it. Well, if we can arrange it, then maybe, we should maybe have we her stop by. talk to some people, see if she'll, she'll be around Thursday or something. And have it. If Reggie's listening, Reggie... Yeah, we'd like to have her to come by. Yeah, I, th- I think I think we would probably enjoy her. Yeah, well, I'm sure we would. It'd be a lot of fun. All right, we've got a couple of people. Is Alan Clark coming? I'd send him a message, but, you know, he's been getting hammered so much over the last um, maybe 24 hours. He filed a bill, um, I guess it was yesterday or the day before, to, um, to basically cut some of the funding to some of these very low-performing schools if they don't improve. It was going to give them kind of a... I think it's going to give them a one-year grace period, and if they don't improve some within the first year, in the second year, they have a cut. And if they don't improve after that, they get another cut, I think. And now, so wait, wait a second now. If you're going to do it the leftist way, if you know that they're having problems, you increase their funding. Yeah, apparently. And so, so apparently... Some, and then if they have more problems, you give them more money. Right. Uh, that's probably how that works, I guess. And uh, socialism must work better when you just throw more money at the problem that's what i've been so, told so one of the one of the things though with with his bill is that so the money that is being currently given to some of these low performing school districts is based upon their um, based upon how much lunch funding or subsidized lunch funding that they get and so in addition to that lunch funding they get another type of funding and um they should tie it to the teacher's salaries. Well, so, but I mean, they're so the one—they're the one teaching. I wouldn't. I, right. I wouldn't look to take the maybe the the lunch. No, it's not, it's not about kids. it's not about the lunch money. So the lunch oh, okay. money still goes, but okay. there's some extra funding that comes based upon the low income nature of the schools oh, okay. of, of the children that, that attend the schools, and so they get some. Um, so they get some extra funding based upon the low income of the children. 
and which they they make that determination by how many school lunch um, subsidies they get, I guess. Right. And so the title of the bill and the wording of the bill makes it look like they're cutting lunch funding because of the wording that's that's there, and the um, so the name of the funding apparently makes it sound like the. Um, school lunch funding is being cut. Well, I can't imagine why and Senator Clark would have any problem when you can't figure out what the crap the bill is about. <laughs> well, and it part I think seriously, well, I understand. The, and that's and that's part of the problem. It's not it's it's not so much the problem with the title, but because of the name of the funding that's already in place that he's trying to to um, cut um, based on poor low performance, that is throwing a monkey wrench into his into his um, his plans because it's he just being hammered with. That sounds like fuel. some of the naming of of, of some of our uh, uh, bigger government tax initiatives that sure. we've had on the ballots before, and why I have such a problem with putting tax increases on the ballot so you can blame somebody else because they're usually very poor rep, poorly represented. You know, it, it, it can it order. can say a less government. And more right. efficiency. Sort of like the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to abolish affordable <laughs> health care? Well, yes, we want to ab- abolish Obamacare because it's not affordable. Right. But, but so if we actually, is- if you filed a bill to, to abolish affordable health care, well, that would sound terrible. Exactly. So, and, and so many people just show up and, and read the title, and that's mm-hmm. that they don't read on the third page that you know it, it's it's also going to uh, extend term limits or whatever. <laughs> so. Uh, so uh, things are usually are not always what they right. seem on the surface, and, and that's kind of I think that's part of what Alan Clark is running into with this bill is that he's dealing with something that's already got a title, and he's just um, dealing with what's there, and unfortunately that's that's um, made him quite a, a target for fire. No, well, we'll have him on if he stops by. Yeah, he, we'll talk he to sent him a message, it. and apparently he's got a meeting as soon as they're out. Let me see if I can get him to come by later. Okay, that's fine. Um, uh, Terry Rice, Senator Terry Rice, will stop by sometime today. That's great. We'll talk about highway funding. I know you ex- want to know what's going on with that, uh, Mr. R.D. Hopper. I saw you. Yeah. I saw what you were posting, trying to be a ra- <laughs> rabble rouser. Well, you know, we need. We don't have anything that we can cut in the state of Arkansas. We don't waste one dime, but you know, we can raise our budget 173 million this year, and then impose more gas taxes on people that drive back and forth to work so you know i think two years ago david correct me if i'm wrong but we had the director of the highway department come up and testify and he said that we have enough money to maintain roads but we don't have enough money to complete all the projects projects that we want to do and maintain our roads Mm -hmm. so i'm one for maintaining what we've got well i would agree with that to a point you do have to add roads to areas that are growing i mean that's you know that's kind of a no-brainer it has to happen and uh, you got to finish up the projects that you've already started god forbid that 67 167 was the uh, corridor of hell and they they never finished it up yeah there's some projects well you have to have an analysis (laughs) there's some projects it's worth completing and some of them that need to be done and there's some of them that i think is more of a national agenda and, and uh, there's some bridges out in the middle of nowhere that I know of that cost several million dollars yeah. that I think that were just fine before. So uh, somebody has to assess them that's not 
thinking about how many jobs they're going to add by increasing taxes and how much more revenue. You, you know, when the Democrats want to raise taxes, they want to, you know, they want to call it a uh, a stimulus a stimulus package. Well, Republicans and, use the same terminology. And, 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 and then they say, "Hey, you know, we're going to do this. It's going to add this many jobs, and it's going to be." so good for the economy but you have to maintain everything that you build if you build a road per capita we already have more miles of road than california has so at some point somebody has to pull back on the reins and say listen we're going to maintain what we've got and be reasonable in the future and uh, well i think the times with the republicans in there it's time to pull back that that this is a more of a stimulus package than anything well and, and just be more sensible about it and because you know, if if roads will follow the traffic, that's that's a reasonable way to determine. That's what exactly. I've said. I've brought that up for the last eight years. That's, how else can you do it in, a, in, a, in any kind of a rational manner if you don't let? Who said roads... government is rational? Well, Sorry. every senator has to bring <laughs> I mean, something serious. to the. I, I used a curse word with government, didn't I? Yes. Sometimes it seems like that, that people elect a senator or a representative and say, uh, well, what did they do for us while they were in there? Like, what bridge did they build or what highway did we get? Or maybe they just lowered, they didn't raise your taxes. Maybe they just lowered everything. But sometimes it seems like that everybody needs to get something in their district to show what a good job they did. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, well, Will Rogers said about the governor of California who's going out one time, you did absolutely nothing. And that's exactly what we wanted you to do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the bottom line is, is that a lot of people, you know, want to see their representative, quote, bring home the bacon. Yep. What you don't understand is that bringing home the bacon runs up the debt, especially if it's not bacon that we need to be bringing home. Well, and part of the problem is that it's also a way to get reelected. And so when government gets so big, then campaign donors find a way to to, um, to donate to those who will um, pad their own pockets, I'm afraid. Like concrete, big companies, concrete companies and uh, heavy equipment manufacturers and the construction firms. Right, right. Yeah, and right. so that's, that's, that's kind of a, a mess that we have right now is that people who will benefit directly from the, um, from the construction projects are donating to the candidates. See, and, and I contribute this to, to a lot to Barack Obama. Whenever you come in and you get all the stimulus money that Barack Obama passed out, if you go buy the equipment to, for a certain amount of growth and you go hire the employees and you, and you and get geared up to go at that speed, then if someone doesn't keep the speed up, then you have to reduce the size of your business. And you, so it is hard to shrink anything after somebody grows it. Well, uh, the biggest thing, and I've, you, you guys may have heard me when I've talked to Jr. on the air. I think even the governor uh, sees that we have to take and change the way that we decide where the money is spent. The Highway Commission and the setup that we have has been around 50, 60 years. It's time to change, and, and you need to put the money where the cars are. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any other way, uh, other reasonable way to do that. Than, than to just set up a system for monitoring traffic. I bet you AT&T with a cell phone service could tell you where the traffic's going. Or well, Verizon or one of these companies that, that you know, you can, you can go on your, on your phone and turn on your map system on your way home to see where the traffic is. I bet you something of that nature could tell people where the traffic is, is going and, and figure out a, a numbers. 
I tell you another thing. There's a nature to look up and see what taxes we pay in Arkansas considered to everybody around us, as David Crow often tells us in the study that was done by UCA. We pay more taxes than any adjoining state at a higher rate. We have more employees. We have more roads. You have to, at some point, we have to scale back the growth and not be the highest tax state in our region. When are we going to work on that? What did Acre say? He said that uh, our state roads, if you put them end to end, would go to Antarctica and back again. I can't remember. That might have been about right. In every session, what seems to be the most focused when we come down is getting money for more road projects and getting matching funds. I say, well, if we can just come up with $50 million, we can get $250 million. That's a bargain. It's free money. It's a bargain. Well, yeah. well the bar- the problem bargain is is that $300 million has to road has to be maintained for and, the next 20 right. years. And there's strings mm-hmm. attached. Or longer. Yeah. yeah. Maybe longer than 20 years. Let's yeah. turn some of our state roads back to the counties and let's see. Let's see if we can work on not growing the number of miles of road every every year, and and let's let's try to let some of the other states catch up to us in the taxing form. If you want to grow this state, we don't want to be the the land of welfare forever. Well, here's the big thing, and because and, RD, I agree with you as far as you know the um, the counties and the cities and and them taking part because. They're getting what? What is it? Is it twenty-five or thirty percent? Right, right at of that. It. About thirty percent, I believe, and each one of them gets. That I don't know. Uh, That's four, a, I think it's forty-four million dollars a year for the cities and forty-four million dollars a year for the, the counties. counties. That's the way it's split right now. So it's eighty, and we don't know where it's going. A little over eighty million. No, we do not. And that's we don't know where it goes and. You know, I've got real problems that a county judge controls all the uh, the road funds. One hundred percent controlled by the county judge. The quorum court basically has no say in, in how the money is spent for That's roads. That's ridiculous. And right now, if you look in most counties, the road department is the is the best funded part of a county. If you go to any county with some of the state taxes that they've already deferred, but I can tell you one thing, if you want to get votes and you want to get a tax increase passed, the best thing to do is send some money home to the counties and the cities if you want to pass a tax increase and say, hey, you know, it's just like Medicaid expansion. Send out a letter to email to everybody that says, hey, if we don't get Medicaid expansion, we're not going to have money for roads and schools and cities. So, uh, you know, the best if we way don't to- hold on to the taxes on food. We'll be a third world nation when it comes to education. That was used on us back in 2003. Because spending $11,000 a year per student is, isn't enough. Yeah, that's right. That's what they say. There's, I mean, when's enough enough? You know, what does a Christian school cost right now? Seven or 8000 a year? And, you get, and statistically speaking, they, they probably do a whole lot better than public schools as far as literacy and, and mathematics and... Oh, but the public schools, they've got all the excuses. Well, they get to cherry-pick who they want to take in. Their, their, uh, their parents make more money, so they're more concerned about their children. I don't know if I buy all of those arguments well, and there, they there, There's some factors there, but, but at the end of the day, we've got tons and tons of money being thrown away on, on a welfare program that is highly ineffective and wastes people's time. These children, in a lot of cases, would be a lot better off if they could just go to work with their parents. Well, I tell you what, the government is not the answer to our school working? problem. Right. The government, well, there's, 
the government is not the answer to the school problem and the teachers having to do all the documentation. What? How dare you say the government isn't the answer to everything? Well, hey, I tell you what. How how good a job are they doing so far? How much have we increased spending on the school system in the last 20 years? And how much better are our grade schools? Well, see, that's a problem. We just haven't spent enough money on yeah, the, that, the that's school. Gotta, that's got to be it. Maybe how we about need let the teachers lessons? teach instead of fill out federal paperwork and take tests? Well, or, or I think, like, I've been discussing some of this with, with people today even. I think part of the problem is we've got areas where people don't want to go. Teachers don't want to go. And so what ends up happening is is... Some of the worst teachers end up going to some of these bad schools with with children who have pretty lousy parents, and the children don't learn much. And so it ends up being a, a babysitting program where you have kids. I, I think Alan Clark was pointing out there was a school at one point where the entire grade was illiterate. Reading levels were zero. Literacy rates were zero in that entire grade. And... Well, there's something else to go along with that also. I don't disagree with that. But where the economic growth is the best and where the schools have the most money, the teachers make more money. And the more rural areas to where they have less of a tax base, a lot of times the teachers don't make as much. Right, but I bet you some of I think if you reverse that to where where you needed them the most, usually people will do what you incentivize them to do. So I'd I'd incentivize them to go where I wanted them to go with a check. That seems to be the most effective. Well, sometimes. But the thing is, a part of it is that we've got people that don't want to live in some of these areas because they feel like they're dangerous to live in. And so the money is not the issue so much. It's just they don't want to live there. All right, let me take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll pick this up. We've got some things to talk about. If you want to get involved in the discussion, 823-0965 is our local number. We'll hear you here at the Capitol. We'll answer whatever questions we're asked for if we've got some information that we can share with you. Hey, we want to welcome a, a brand-new advertiser today, uh, the Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency out of Sherwood. Uh, they're an all-state uh, insurance company. They do a great job. Whatever you need done, they can get it done for you. Their phone number, 501-819-0373. Right now, for free, they'll look at what you're doing with insurance and how your home is insured, your car, and all the rest, and they'll tell you if they can beat that or they can give you better coverage. They're at 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. That is the uh, Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. Their phone number again, 501-819-0373. Call them, talk to one of their uh, agents there, and they'll take good care of you. More of the Dave Ellswick Show, third floor, house side, at the state capitol when we return in a moment. All right, let's continue. We're talking education. Connie uh, is with us. And, Connie, what's your thoughts? Well, I, I didn't know if you had a chance to read the Arkansas Democrat today. There's a weekly column by a child psychologist, John Rosman. And okay. his column today is that very thing, that comparing uh, private schools to public schools and how that uh, his take on it is that it's a matter that teachers are no longer allowed to discipline children and that uh, he predicts in by 2030 there won't be a public school left in the United States because we can't simply afford to um, fund them and that uh, the what we used to call the uh, urban flight where we people would leave public schools to go to suburban areas is doing it again by doing it from public to private schools. 
But discipline is the issue, that if a teacher is not allowed to discipline a child in the classroom because uh, administration or the parents don't support them, then good teachers are leaving because they're not going to uh, deal with uh, the issues of uh, bad parents and uh, not getting any support from administration. I was just yeah, going so to look at that, that column, and uh, it's an excellent, excellent column today. That was all. All right. We'll take a look Thanks. at it. We appreciate your call. We'll come back and talk more about what she just brought up. And uh, I agree with her. I, I said, you know, they're always talking about tort reform. The best tort reform they could do here in the state is tort reform for the schools so they wouldn't have to worry about being sued every time they have some kind of disciplinary, uh, something that they bring up, a dress code or, or whatever, and they get sued about it. That needs to be stopped. So we got a lot of things to talk about. We got a lot on our table. Wait till you hear what I have to a story I gotta tell you about birth control. You wanna hear that as well. All of it's coming your way. But first, let's get to the news. It's happening now. All right, back with you. We're on the uh, third floor, house side. I'm here, RD is here, Paul's here, Jan is not here today. She'll be back with us next week as she's working hard getting ready for this lady that's coming in to teach about the constitution. So uh, looking forward to to her getting back with us next week. And uh, we've been talking about education. Just open up the phone lines, 823-0965, 823-0965. Your thoughts about being able or what needs to be done to um, make education better here in the state of Arkansas. Many people think it's just throwing money at it. I would highly disagree with that. that was Senator it. Clark is saying maybe we need to start punishing some of these schools that aren't doing anything at all. Right, and so, well, so apparently there's there was a, a funding mechanism where they would give extra funding to some of these schools um, because the students were poor. And Alan Clark was apparently kind of making note of the fact that these schools were not improving with this extra funding. And so his plan was to encourage them to, to work a little harder. And um, by basically giving them a means to have some of that fund cut back away from them if they don't improve. And he, he gives them some time to do it, but he, it's, it's, it's putting some teeth into some, into some um, recommendations, if you will. Well, I tell you what, too many times at the Capitol and government in general, they always take the top-down approach. So, so you, you'll have your legislatures, legislatures, excuse me, talk to the superintendents, and the superintendents will talk to the principals. And too many times, these people are very motivated by budget. Yeah. If you want to know what's going on in the classrooms, you need to go to the classrooms and sit in the classrooms, and you need to talk to the teachers and let the teachers tell you what support they need. The caller a while ago had an excellent point. I have friends in my crime watch that have driven school buses in the past for many years. Yeah. Many of them aren't driving school buses anymore because they can't get any discipline for the kids that act up on the school bus and they right. have no ability to control the kids. If a teacher doesn't have the authority to control their classroom, if they're having too much, having to spend too much time filling out paperwork instead of teaching their children, uh, I think... Uh, less control sometimes is the answer instead of more control. But if people want to know what's going on in the classrooms, you need to go in and sit in the classrooms and talk to the teachers because me and you have been so many lobbying things that has to do with education. 
and the superintendents will all show up in groves and all the experts will show up in groves and say, we need more money, we need more government control, and we need more testing. So more testing, more money, and more government control seems to be the answer that we always get when we're at the Capitol. Right. And, 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 and that's not what I hear from the teachers. The, the response to that is, well, we should just do this, we should just make this welfare program more conservative. But I'm not seeing very many people who are actually wanting to cut. Alan Clark finally actually filed a bill to, to maybe cut some funding from some of these failing schools, which I, I appreciate. I would like to see more um, willingness to cut funding, make them leaner, cut out some of the superfluous stuff. The fact is that one of Alan Clark's big deals is that he wants kids to be able to read, and they're not being, being taught to read. They're being taught all kinds of other garbage, and they're being, their time is being wasted in these government schools, but they're not learning to read, and that's dumb. Yeah, they, they, they know about the, the theory of evolution and that they are taught that they're nothing but an animal and Uncle Ralph was a squirrel. <laughs> but they're not being taught they're not being taught biblical principles or uh, hard work or no, respect I, for authority. Respect for authority is number one to be successful in any field. Well I think one of the things is that I think school oftentimes shields children from, from learning all of these things they need to learn from their parents and from life in general. When, when children don't grow up around their parents working and, and ha- learning some work ethic, then it, it hurts them throughout their life, I think. And, and especially when they, don't, when they have families that are already kind of dysfunctional anyway. Um, I, I'm sorry, public school is not the answer. And when we just throw tons and tons of extra money at it, it, it doesn't necessarily get better. It just gets more expensive. All right, let's uh, take Ford. He's uh, wanting to talk with us. Ford, how are you? Good to hear from you, my man. You're driving around. What are you <laughs> You're driving around yeah. doing what? Oh, I'm doing errands. I got oh. errands to do. But if we want to increase or make the public schools better, competition. And competition means vouchers so that parents have a choice and they can send their children to some other school. Right now, there's no competition, no competition, and you're going to sink to the lowest level. Good point. I would agree with that. How do you suggest that we set that competition up, Ford? You'd, I'm sure you've got some ideas on that. Well, like I say, vouchers so that people can afford to send their kids to a, uh, a private school. And when they start leaving the public schools and going to private schools, the public schools then will start doing better. And, and I am all for giving some, but not all, of the money that would normally go to the school for a student to the uh, parents that go to the private schools. The, the numbers up to political process, 50%, 80% of whatever the state spends per student in the public school, put that in a voucher and let them, them, the parents, take the money to private school. I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, I, I, I think that would actually have a tendency to, to, to help with the um, by adding some competition there because people oh. will compete for the funding. And, you know, if, if it becomes... If it, if it becomes available for private business owners to provide schooling with that funding, then, you know what, I might decide to open a school. And I, I think, you know, with 25 students getting over a quarter million dollars a year, I bet I could teach those kids. 
Well, Ford, we just haven't seen any big things at this capital in the last four years where people take any big, bold steps like that. That idea has been thought up, but the the institutional part of our school systems are scared to death of competition, and we haven't had any politicians that's willing to uh, to take the bold step and and, uh, and and make it a competitive market. But uh, I'm with you. I think capitalism works. All right. Thanks a lot, Ford. We appreciate you calling in and uh, talking to us today. Although I would say that we got to we got to use the word scholarship. You can't use that other nasty word because all the public uh, entities get all upset when you start wanting to give parents just the money for them to go out and do what it is that they want to do with their kids. Tax you know? credit. Yep. Don't want that to happen. All right, let's get another break in here. We'll take that, and then we'll come back. We'll talk further. I've been notified by Terry Rice that he will join us in the 3 o'clock hour. Cool. Uh, and talk about the highway funding. I know that R.D. came here today wanting to talk about that specifically. You're going to get your chance, R.D. All right. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back with more in a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. The whole thing of bringing money that's being spent on education and giving... X amount of dollars to the uh, the parents, the money that the government would give to the school system, you give to the parent, and the parent takes that and takes it to whatever school they want to go to. They call it a, a scholarship now. Um, what was it? What was the word they they? There was another word they used to use, and it got it, it was it was voucher voucher voucher, voucher had 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 become. Uh, a, a word that you wouldn't use. It was like a bad word, all right? Because I, re- <laughs> I remember when Westerman was here right. trying to get the voucher program through because because of the um, Lakeview decision, there has to be equal funding for all of the school districts here in the state. The best way to do that is to do a voucher program or a scholarship program so that each family is getting the exact same amount of money that they can use to take wherever they want to go and put their kids in that school. Now, now hold on. I know you want to get on this, Paul, but hold on. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. The public school <clears throat> teachers, the public school superintendents, and others do not want to do this. Absolutely, do they fight this to the death, folks? They really do. They fo- they fight it to the death, and there's a lot of the uh, um, uh, legislators that won't do anything to cross those people. They figure they will not get reelected if they do. If you want this to happen, it's going to be a grassroots movement. I'm just telling you, it, you will have to start unrelentingly. Keep calling and calling and calling and calling and show up here to get that to happen. Right, because you, you've got a, a gigantic powerhouse of influence with the um, teachers unions or teachers people. And, and, and Because it's a gigantic industry. When you think about it, there's lots and lots and lots of money involved in public education. And believe me, they'll throw all that money into the fight here in Arkansas. There's no state in the union that has the kind of voucher program that we're talking about. Well, and, and and so 
basically it's a, it's a it's a fundamental distrust of parents to be able to make decisions for their children, which is basically kind of the idea of socialism in general. Is you're too stupid to make your own decisions, so the government's going to make them for you, and that's just. I, I will disagree that it's not about the parents at all. It's about the money. Well, if you keep all the money, if you keep all the money in one place, no matter what it is, if you keep all the money bunched up in one place, it's a whole lot easier to get a section of it. But when you take it and spread it out, it's harder for somebody to do it. So you get your people like Walmart and and, and all your large corporations, and they like the monopolies because on a monopoly, it is easier to get. Your piece of the pie. It is easier to control people when they're in groups rather than individuals. Exactly. Because the, when I think one of the classic things in in America that kind of has made uh, Americans great, if you will, is, is rugged individualism, and we're not doing that anymore. We, we've got a bunch of of um, lemmings that go along in in big groups, like schools of fish, instead of rugged individualists who can actually function in life without lots of government to, to, to keep them going. Yeah, look at our Medicare and our, our Medicaid and everything else. If you look at the number of providers that we have in the state, it's just a very small handful of providers, and everybody is getting a big piece of the pie. So, you know, it's, it get, it's getting to be that way where Google and Verizon and all these corporations, their goal is to have big government contracts so that way they don't have to develop a new product at our deal by. There'll be no capitalism to where there's somebody else competing with them. So the more you pull things together and the more things are under government control and government contracts, the easier it is for a large corporation to get a piece of that. And they don't have to compete for it because it's more fascism than it is capitalism. And yeah. that seems to be the way that things are going. Yeah. It's the, the, th- the thing is that when you have gigantic government and lots of big programs and it's easier for government to control you yeah so and and it's easier to be able to get a piece of that than it is to try to go out and lobby and 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 try to do it on a retail basis because on a retail basis it's tough so when you have an arkansas department of uh of whatever whether it whatever it is let's say we have an insurance we have an insurance commissioner. Well, guess what? If you want to sell insurance in Arkansas, you've got to go to the insurance commissioner. As, as opposed to actually having free markets where yeah. we can – because insurance should be a contractual arrangement. Exactly. Like if, if maybe, maybe I've got some extra assets, so I think, you know what? I could insure R.D. Hopper's business if he's willing to pay me something. And maybe I've got enough assets to cover several businesses. So I decide, you know what? I'm going to contract with some of my neighbors here and, and insure their properties against fire fire damage or something of that nature and so we set up a a contractual arrangement for insurance and you and i should be able to do that without government interfering um and cross state lines and cross state lines i mean it's you know capitalism is going away in almost every department we we just simply don't believe in free markets we we, we, we've got this idea of well we need government to control it and, and protect everybody from everybody else and and at the end of the day, what, we, what ends up happening is we protect big, giant operators yeah. from competition. Now, look, we had a and, senator, and, and I can give you the, the articles. We had a senator that got $900,000, $900,000 over a, a five-year period to advise a health care company on, on, on how to do business in the state of Arkansas. senator got $900,000 from four different from four different companies well he happened to get in trouble because some of that nine hundred thousand dollars he transferred 
he's allegedly transferred some of that money into some accounts that he wasn't supposed to transfer it into and spend and spend it. So he's not in trouble because he got nine hundred thousand dollars worth of legal fees over a few years. He's in trouble because he handled some of it wrongly. Well, I have a problem with government being big enough to where if you're a legislator or if you're in a senator in the House and you can get $900,000 worth of consulting fees, then we have a problem. So my, my question for both of you is this. Are, are you up for a voucher or scholarship or whatever and that, you know, you would get a check in the mail or you get a, a piece of paper that says you take this paper to XY or any other public or private or whatever kind of school and you presented it's worth this much money from the state of arkansas to be able to educate your child would you i don't have any problem with that do you have any problem with that it's a whole lot less bad than what we have right now we've got children right now that are going to schools that are terrible and, and and from what i understand and so why not give these parents an option to say you know what we'll give you the money that we would have been spending on your child and you can take that, not in cash form, but in a voucher form, as a form. Basically, it's a check or a coupon that can only be used for, for education. And you can go to a private school of your choice and, um, and go present them with this check. And they can actually they can go and cash it and then provide your child with an education. Sounds like the crowd and, agrees with you. <laughs> I'm afraid they're, talking, they're, they're clapping for somebody course, else, but we might as well take it. Of course, me and Paul, ideally, you know what people, what we're doing is we're being taxed to provide a service and once when you get taxed once the government gets their hand on the money you know they're going to keep about 30 or 40 percent of it so ideally the ideal situation which we'll never get to that uh, we would never give them the money to start with so they wouldn't have to give it back to us and keep it but i think it needs to be worked in where people that do homeschooling and homeschool their children could use some of that for some programs for the children well, that are homeschooled and, and, also but i'm all for it of course you know another option that's that's been kind of bantied around is is that um you could allow people to have tax credits exactly. to, to, to give scholarships to people so so let's say i, I had a maybe i have a tax liability of ten thousand dollars and and they let me instead of giving it to government let me sponsor a kid to go to a pri- private school instead and maybe they don't give me quite a one-to-one tax credit, but they give me a, a good enough ratio that I'm willing to. You know what? I can pay, I can add ten percent to this that I would have paid to the government and send a kid to a private school instead of him going to public school. And I say, you know what? I'd rather pay the extra ten percent to send this kid to private school rather than give my money to the government. And I might take up that that bargain because now I'm going to find a loophole so I don't have to give it to anybody. I get to keep it. Well, Keeping it is ideal. Have, have more kids. The ideal, you know, anytime we have a surplus, you know, how about we have a state surplus? I've, I read that we had a state surplus again this year, so they're going to send extra $16 million to the road department because we have a surplus this year. Why don't we ever have a surplus where they don't take as much money away from us the but next year as they did no the brainer? year before? What was it? Was it $300 million this year? Right. Wouldn't that just almost eliminate um, income taxes? I remember, I remember talking to somebody one time, and I just talked to him. I said, well, we got a $300 million surplus this year. What do you think the state ought to do with it? And, he, and it, boy, this guy didn't even have to think about it. He said, send it back. Right. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. And, he and didn't have to phone a friend talking. for that answer. No, why, why is it that Republicans, why is that 
even a question for Republicans that they wouldn't automatically send back a surplus. Why is that even a question for Republicans? So yeah, so we're going to spend. So yeah, we're going to spend an extra forty-five million dollars for for this. We're going to spend extra thirty-something million dollars for this. So we're going to spend it. We're going to pass it around in the state, and we're going to spend it wisely so we create the most jobs. Right. So, so so right now, the the voucher programs that I've seen, I think, are typically. They will get the state funding, but they don't get the local funding, which right. is what about seventy five hundred dollars a year right now. And so, so if I understand it correctly, the average expenditures on public education is about eleven thousand dollars per student. And so, if they're actually only getting seventy five hundred dollars per student from the state, that's a what is that a that's a thirty five hundred dollars savings over the state average. That's a big savings. And you, if you just simply give the um, the seventy five hundred dollars per student that's that's a pretty good size savings that would cut um, cut expenses right there by giving as many parents who want it a voucher. Well, I think uh, that you'd have more public or more private schools open the doors uh, that would do much better educating the kids uh, because they could uh, you know make a school let's say for kids who got. Dyslexia or whatever. Dyslexia. Yeah, dyslexia. And you pay pay your you know seventy five hundred dollars. Your kid gets the kind of catered. of uh, catered care right. or teaching that right. they need Instead to of... be uh, successful. Right, right. And it may, maybe there'll be some schools that crop up for for boys because boys need different um, stimulus than girls do as far as the the way you you actually stimulate boys to learn. They're different. As much as people on the left want to, to tell us that boys and girls are the same, they're nuts. They're not. It, it's it's absolutely not true. But it might be a lot more effective to send your your boy to a school with all boys, and and you might end up with a, a much better education for your child. But let ma- parents make that decision. All right, got to get a break in time for the news. Let's do that. Uh, State Senator Terry Rice is going to join us during the three o'clock hour. We'll be talking about. Highways. What's going on about highways? We're understanding that's going to be a huge discussion this week right in these halls in the House and the Senate. Find out what it's being said when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. The second hour of the Dave Ellswick Show on a Tuesday. And uh, I always feel lucky to get Terry Rice on. He is a busy, 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 busy guy. He is. He meets himself coming. The way, way it kind of works for him. He's from District 9, State Senator, good man, and we're glad to have him here. I wanted to talk to him about what's going on with the highway bill. I had heard last week that this will be the week for the Senate and the House to really t- start taking a look at the, the highway bill, and so best to start off with the Senate. They're the more, uh, as they like to say, deliberative body. And, uh, Terry, you've been working on this for quite some time. Are we closer this time than we've ever been? Well, I've been supportive of a highway program uh, for additional funding for some time. Uh, we have, as a legislature, uh, have kicked the can down the road trying to find a good way and and put things off, and we see uh, roads and infrastructure deteriorating uh, excessively. When it gets down to a certain point, the cost to fix it just goes up extraordinarily and uh, so I don't feel like we can kick the can down the road anymore we're going to have to address it this uh, bill that I'm running SB 336 is one part of the governor's highway program that he presented 
a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it does different things on each bill. And when you're ready for that, we'll get into that. All right, so here, here's my question about highways. Is highways something to deal with by itself, or do we have to deal with the highways and the highway commission? I've heard a lot of people here in this building say that the commission is an antiquated system for dealing with the problems that we have. Do, do we have to attack this from both ends? And legislatively, uh, I would say yes. Uh, it's it's got to be separate legislation. Uh, and part of what we'll discuss is the part that I'm not running is going to be referred to the people uh, as long as it's approved by the legislative body to refer to the people for a big portion of the highway funding. But Anything done with the highway commission is going to have to be separate legislation. Okay. Is there is there an appetite for that now? I remember a few years ago, Jeremy Hutchinson was taking on the highway commission, and then he let up after they, prom- they promised, they crossed their heart and hoped to die, that they'd make the changes that were necessary. And guess what? Those changes were never made. Well, I would, I would question that some in that in the 10 years that I've been here, uh, I remember when when that was done, uh, the threat was run legislation because they weren't putting the money where the traffic was. And if you look, there's been a lot of work in, in central Arkansas, continued being done. There's been a lot of work in northwest Arkansas and some over in eastern Arkansas, Jonesboro area and those things. So in that sense, it has. Okay. From rural Arkansas, where I live, uh, we are not seeing those connector roads, uh, those farm-to-market highways and all getting attention, and they continue to go down. And again, when they get to a certain point, they won't put money into them until they've got money to basically totally redo them. And and we're getting close to that. Okay, so, you know, talk a little bit about what you are suggesting as far as as the highways go. Well, and and again... uh, governor's program that he announced uh this part that that i'm running uh on sb336 uh the main thing that gets everybody's attention it is a three cent hotel wholesale gas uh, tax increase six cents on diesel the trucking association has been supportive of a larger diesel tax for some time and it's the same reason they are they need better roads to run on, tears up the rigs, same thing on cars. We've got people busting tires, cracking wheels, doing front-end damage on uh, things that's costing them uh, on their personal vehicles uh, because we're not putting money in the road. And to give you a little for instance on this, you take 20,000 miles, uh, if you get 20 miles the gallon in uh, three cents, you know, you're, most, most Arkansas it's an increase. They're already paying taxes. I don't don't minimize that. You're talking about a buck fifty a month, twenty dollars, twenty five dollars, maybe thirty dollars uh, per year on an increase on gas tax. Which diesel's twice that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the kind of investment that I'm saying that we're we're shooting for on highways to be able to. To get some repairs, and the, and the subtitle of this bill is to provide a, a additional 
revenue and uh, maintenance for and repair of highways, streets, bridges in the state. Nobody is uh, saying that we don't have those problems. We definitely do. And we can either do nothing or we can address them. But it's costing more every day if we don't do anything. From what I've understood now, SB336, is that Dan Douglas's basically from the House? Is it his three and six as well? Well, uh, I believe, and it's been a little while since I've looked at Dan's. Dan had three and six. Dan, I believe, also moves uh, revenue. We're seeking, that's what we've supported in the past and on, and this doesn't have this in there. What this does, besides the uh, three and six cent increase on gas and diesel, uh, it also uh, has $35 million in there that the governor has guaranteed uh, with future casino revenues and other uh, restricted reserve funding. Anything over $31.2 million that comes in from uh, casinos. It's like this, levied on the, for the people of Arkansas. At this time, it doesn't go to them, but it would be taken care of by the legislature. They will vote it either yay up or nay down. Is that what you're talking about on the three and six cent? Yes. Well, I mean, that, that will be. This This is a Senate bill that, if passed in the Senate, will go to the House. Representative Holcomb uh, is running it on the House end. And, and this will be a vote up or down on what uh, the governor put out. And, again, we're, we're citing the revenues for the Department of Transportation uh, will be $58 million, uh, and then there's some $26 million that goes to city county, you know, the, the 15% for each of those. This was some of the uh, compromise that went on between you all, the legislature, and, and the governor, because he kind of wanted that to be taken to the people to give them the opportunity to vote on it, didn't he? And, and, again, and then he said he'll let it go your way. Now, the second part of this, the part... This is to bring in $95 million okay. for, for state highways. The part of this that has to be referred out by the legislature for people to vote on uh, is the half-cent tax that was approved in 2013. was 10 years with a sunset. If this goes out to the voters and they approve it, it will be a half-cent permanent tax dedicated solely to highways. And uh, uh, that's where the people have it. About two-thirds of this bill is going to be strictly on what the people do. So it's one part's not going to do it. We've got $478 million uh, of needs annually, and this is not going to get there, but it's going to get a long way there if the people uh, approve and the legislature approve and what's presented. Our guest is Terry Rice, State Senator, District 9. R.D., did you have questions? Uh, I was hearing that part of this bill, of course, my preference would be find a way to, to break the highway department out of general funding and have, have its own funding source and have it separate because a lot of times whenever money goes into general funds and it can sometimes be eaten up by something like Medicaid expansion or something else and the highway department loses out. So I, I would love to see us find some of this money from a savings instead of hitting people at the gas pumps. Because, uh, But uh, also one quick question. I heard there was a mechanism in here that would raise the tax, like yes. one-tenth of a percent a year. Could you explain that yeah, to I us? Yeah, I can. Thank you for, uh, for mentioning that. Uh, the one problem we've had is because we have not had a mechanism for indexing for inflation. Many states have that. What this does is puts in a one-tenth of one penny 
mechanism. There is a calculation that's done and it's specified what time of the year it's done. It takes in uh, the uh, Gulf State region, which we are in, uh, and calculates uh, what to increase. If, it's, if the increase is more, it cannot go over one-tenth of one penny per year. That is a total of one penny, one one percent, in a decade, which is more than likely not going to keep up with inflation. But we have not had that before, and that's caused us to slip further behind. Yeah, sometimes something like that will keep you from having a drastic measure because the one thing, and I think that we feel we're in the position we're in because this hasn't been addressed in the past ten years. And now that we're kind of feel like we're in an emergency situation, we're having to raise taxes dra- gradually. So I would like to see something that was tied to the amount of roads or the amount of miles that we drive. But uh, but uh, hopefully we can come up with something that will break it out and have something designated that we don't have to come back and raise taxes. It seems like every two years we're here trying to find out how to raise taxes for roads that uh, that hopefully we can find something consistent and even and again we've talked about it every session but we haven't got it done and that's the reason we're at let me throw in one other thing right quick this also includes a uh, registration fee on electric vehicles uh at two hundred dollars that that have a small fee now but they're basically not paying for uh, being on the roads subsidized some of them may uh, dispute that and there's i've talked to some that you know feel like it's it's on the high side. I think it's the same thing as Georgia. The hybrid vehicles would be a hundred dollars a year. So it's basically, if you'll do some calculations, it comes out uh, in the ballpark of what's being asked for. And I think we'll discuss that in committee tomorrow too. Is, is it possible to maybe exchange that or give them an option to to give them pay for mileage instead of the the annual fee? Personally, I don't like the idea of mileage because it's kind of yeah, none of their it, business. But the- it's, it, it go back to that deal where where it was very unpopular. Remember last session, but there's going to plug that on your car and keep up with you. I don't right. believe I don't think anybody wants to go there. It, compl- right. it complicates it. Right. You're right. not going to have something that makes everybody happy. This bill's right. got something that right. everybody likes no, a piece of, but some, they don't it, like a lot of it. It's it's something, and I the 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 fee for service is, is something I. I I appreciate and the fuel is one of the easiest ways to do that fuel taxes um, another way would be to to, to um, put a GPS monitor on a car and let them let them pay per mile a lot of us didn't don't, don't like that much big brother government stuff however some trucking companies might not mind it that they, they're already monitoring their trucks anyway they may have said you know what if, if we can pay 25 cents a mile or whatever it is for um, or, or 10 cents or whatever they might say, you know, if this is going to save us some money, we'd rather do it that way because we don't really care if the government monitors us because we've already we're already monitoring our, our trucks anyway, and we don't care if the government knows where we're at. And so, I don't I don't see that being a problem as far as making it optional. I've got a problem if if they're going to force me to put a GPS monitor on my right. car and let let the government watch where I'm going. But does Terry does all our money that we pay at the pump, our gas money, and 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 if we get this raise, does all of that money go to roads? On the three cent and six well, cent. Oh, well, the three and the six cents. But right now, what's the st- what are we currently paying per gallon of taxes for we're paying, state? We're paying uh, uh, twenty one and a half cents gas 20. and uh, 
22 and a half cents. So we're already paying 21 and a half cent on tax. And then we're going to add another three and a half or three. Three, three another cents. three cents. It'd, it'd be twenty-four and a half cents. Twenty-four and a half cents. Well, 20, all of that money. Well, all of that money go to roads. Or some, will some of that money go to other government programs? Well, you've got understanding that uh, the way the law reads, fifteen percent goes to cities, fifteen percent goes to counties. They're supposed to use it for road streets, right. and uh, that that's been audited at times and, and need to be. Uh, also, uh, then the the seventy percent to the state. So that's so the breakout. Does the seventy percent that goes to the state is all that spent on roads? Uh, it's supposed to be, and and as uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, legally, I can't tell you what else would be spent on. And and I, as you know, and I know, and I haven't addressed that. Uh, the state highway that uh, did some funding. Uh, for uh, what was it? Engineer building building at U of A was of some concern. Concerns me. Uh, so if we could get a separate I, account for that money to I, go know, in, I, I, and there that needs, money there needs to be accounting for all right. all the funding. Yes. If we pay that tax and we pay that money at the pump and we pay it for roads, and I knew that that money went to the state highway department and they spent the money that I was paying at the pump on roads. I'd feel a whole lot better about it. With it going in the general funding right now, you know, I don't feel warm and fuzzy about where all it goes. And I can assure you that the only reason I'm running this bill, uh, and, again, it is it is a tax increase, and that that is not my normal character. The people throughout my district, throughout the state, have said just what you've said. We will pay it, but we want it to go on the roads, and we want to see it. Now, one thing that's going to be necessary, if you remember in 2013 when they passed the half-cent tax, after the legislature referred that out, it's the Highway Commission and other pro-road groups, it was up to them to sell that along with legislators talking to their constituents. They're going to have to designate, you know, here's some areas, and they may be flexible in some, they're going to have to show where they're going to spend this money and make it count to sell it to the people. Now, we don't have to worry about things like... Uh walking paths or bicycle paths. I know the national government, our federal government does that. Does that happen here in the state of Arkansas? And, and it has happened here in the state, and I brought that up in committee, and, and uh, uh, Director of State Highway Scott Bennett uh, <laughs> said, says, I know you'd like to do that. That is a federal designated thing. There's a certain percentage of that. Unless that's been repealed, I don't know it, that uh, if it has, but uh, that's something I'd hope uh, President Trump through some executive orders and thing could I'm you know I'm not against doing some things but mandating that when we've got the needs on the roads uh, that it doesn't lessen traffic in Arkansas it may do it in New York City but <laughs> I don't believe it needs to be mandated here Judge Valines wouldn't agree with you by the way I, I don't live in, <laughs> I don't live down here so is, it, is there any way to cut back on some of that some of that 15 percent that goes to the cities or, you know here's something I, I've, I've said it in a area chamber of commerce meeting the other day is state highway department pays for the state highways that go through the city mm-hmm. for, for redoing those right and all already you know they're not gonna they're not sh- uh, shown in this 35 million that has a poten- potential to grow that 15 percent for each does not come out of that that all goes to state highways and I've had some fuss. They, you know, we think we ought to get that. 
if you want to pay for 100% of the highways through your city, give it to them. Well, no, we don't want to do that. Right. So, you know, there's there's benefits one way or another that, that kind of wash, but I don't expect that to be changed anytime soon. You've got to have cities and counties to, to pass this. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. State Senator uh, Terry Rice, a guest, we want to thank you for coming by. What time will your bill be heard tomorrow? Be heard in uh, Senate Revenue and Tax at 10 a.m. Uh, expect it to be the early part of the meeting. Sometimes you never know, something may slip in ahead of it, but uh, I checked a little bit ago and we expect it to be uh, pretty well, quick. Whoever's behind you, I feel sorry for them. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Terry. We appreciate you coming by. Thank you. Appreciate thank you, your, very much. you guys' show and appreciate you. Uh, letting us know what people's feeling. Well, you come on by any time and uh, just, you know, put out the information. That That's important. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. State Senator Terry Rice here on the Dave Ellswick Show. A quick break. We'll come back and we'll finish up this half hour of 3 o'clock. I have to uh, tell you guys that I'm a little bit confused because I've heard from state representatives. I've uh, thought J.R., said the same thing Thursday, and I have him back on again day after tomorrow, so I'll bring it up to him again. And, but what we heard from Terry Rice is that the uh, legislature is going to, if I got this correct, the people have to vote on the, the big part of this bill. Is that right? Is that what everybody That's not heard? what I understood. What I understood... Uh, Terry to say, if I understood him correctly, is uh, one concern is there was a half cent sales tax that was passed. That has to be. That has to be and, done. Uh, and uh, That's scheduled to expire. That is yes. scheduled to just expire. I believe in twenty three, if I remember from reading it right. Now that is going to have to go before the voters because the voters passed that tax, and the voters will have to decide whether to uh, extend it or not. But as far as the three cent or the six cent. Uh, uh, that is going. Those bills are going before the House and the Senate, and the majority will decide those. Okay, so from what I understood, that the governor agreed to that because he initially had said that he did. He wanted both. Uh, he they wanted that bill to be presented to the voters to vote on as well. State Representative Julie Mayberry here. I was going through the bills that had been filed today. And I came across a couple of interesting ones. What, 1501, 1502? 1501 and 1502, yes. Okay. And I also filed another one at the beginning, well, a few weeks ago, that also dealt with highway funding, too. Okay, so I missed that I one. I have kind of three. I'll start off with the first one I had sure. already filed. And uh, it is, oh, goodness, let me look at the number here. Um, House Bill 1300 okay. is what it is. Um, but basically, in the state of Arkansas, you can deduct your gambling debts. I didn't know that. Um, yes. Did you know that, R.D.? At a tune of $245 million. No, and, I had no uh, idea. Yes. So it's yes, treated tra- tra- like two, an investment. $245 million does not get taxed because it's a gambling loss. So when you factor <laughs> that in. That's good news um, for you, R.D. <laughs> I have a business. I'm I feel sorry. like that's gambling, but that's well, unbelievable. I just don't think the people of the state of Arkansas should be subsidizing gambling. Habits. I'm with you on that. You know, so let's first start looking at that. And there are other states that do not allow the deductions, so we would not be alone in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would equate to 11.5 million dollars. The way that we wrote the bill, I knew it was at least 10 million dollars. We've been writing off 11 and a half million dollars. Yes. So the bill. 
Well, actually three. assigns $10 million to um, the highway fund, but then uh, another $1.5 towards just general revenue. And we, we can tweak that if we not I'll need to. Ratio. But originally I was told it was about $10 million, so that's how that $10 million came up. So that that's one idea that I think we just need to do. It's a good idea. Awesome. And, and honestly, I, I, I firmly believe that that's what the voters of the state of Arkansas were, were doing when we passed this casino amendment. I think it was very much put that... We need to use money from gambling towards uh, highway funding. They ran it in their they, ads. They ran it in their ads. It's what they promised the voters. So I'm just trying to keep them Better out of their roads. word and helping them. <laughs> More driving, jobs. Driving Arkansas <laughs> Forward was the name of the group. Yes. Driving Arkansas Forward. So let's just look into those things. So I started looking. The next thing that I came up with was um, the uh, state of Mississippi adds a tax, not I shouldn't say tax, adds a licensing fee. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Oops. Uh, adds a licensing fee on each game. Okay. So every slot machine, etc., that's there, there is a fee that's placed in Mississippi. So let's look at that. That can be on the table or off the table, but let's look at it and see what type of revenue it's going to generate. I know that that number is going to be really hard to come up with because we don't know exactly how big these casinos are going to be and how many games they're going to have. From what so, I've seen from Oaklawn and Southland, they're going to be pretty doggone big. Hey, they, they are. So. I pay a fee for my Coke machine and my candy machine at my, my <laughs> well, office. there you go. I have to buy a state sticker every year to put on my candy machine and on my Coke machine and on my lifts, on my car lifts. So I pay a fee for candy machine, Coke machines, and car lifts. So if I have to do that, they shouldn't have to do it. Yeah. 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 I've got a licensing field that I sticker I put on my Coke machine every year. So that's wrapped into the 1502 <laughs> bill, along with doing what they said originally. is just taking the, the tax the, that they said in the amendment would be given to the state of Arkansas and wrapping all that up in together. So hmm. I don't have the exact cost on that, the fiscal impact. I just filed it yesterday. It'll take a few days to get the fiscal impact, but I think it'll be pretty significant. So that that is certainly something that can be looked at. Is it going to solve our highway problems? No. Um, but it is certainly a step in the right direction. And if we had done little things all along the way for the past decade, we wouldn't Amen. be needing as much now. We didn't cut taxes all in one session. We did it in little segments. And so maybe we need to start with you know, something to just get it going. And then the other one that I filed is 1501. And um, it's a shell bill right now. It's in review. Um, it's already been written, but it has to go through a review process. And hope to have it back and filed quickly. But basically, it is Jonathan Barnett's bill from 2013. Um, do you remember that bill? Yeah, the I know what you're ribbon, talking about. Blue Ribbon Committee. Um, oh, it was yeah, well that was a big vetted. deal. It was well vetted. There were 67 House sponsors and 23 Senate sponsors at the time on that bill. It was almost done until Mike Beebe came along and said, no, we're not doing this, mm. and it died. And I'd like to revive it. And basically it takes the um, revenue that comes in from things related to cars, <laughs> the, the sale of the vehicle, um, let's see, actual sales and use tax collected on sales of motor vehicles, um, also the related sales of parts, labor, installation, maintenance, and diagnostic services. And then it phases it in. You know, we can't do that all at once. But each year, it would phase in a little bit more over a 10-year period. And all that to I be. I send in my share. I'm in the auto parts business. I send my share. So 
it just makes sense if, it, it the, that the money that I create from for, for selling parts for people's cars goes for the roads. I mean, right. it's common sense. And this is not a, a new tax or, or right, anything. Exactly. I just can't. I, I've, I've said to several people, three cents to someone may not sound like a whole lot, but let me tell you, if you're driving down the highway and you're starting to run out of gas and you see one gas station for $2.10 and you see another one for $2.13... You go to the 210. You go to the 210. And if you go to the 213, you're just, you're odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. Three cents means a lot. It, it is a lot in my life, and I think it's a lot in a lot of people's lives. Well, and, and uh, I think with a lot of us here is the money may or may not be a real big issue. For me, the amount is not as much the issue as, uh, is there any guarantee that the money will stop being wasted on, on on stuff that's that's not for for roads. Yeah. I mean, let, let, here's something that Paul and I both have heartburn on. Okay. You drive past the roads, so these these the roads that they're building, the new ones, and instead of just doing kind of a utilitarian roadway, they've got these pieces of concrete that got trees and flowers and the state of Arkansas on it. That's got to add up into multiple millions of dollars. Yeah, and so that, that indicates to me when when you're when they're building roads with extra architectural aesthetics to them, that indicates to me they've got too much money. You know, when, when you've got... I, when you I go, don't when, know when how I, much all that you know, is. If, I mean, if, that's certainly a question that... that if it's 20 bucks, it's yeah, too if, much, if, I'm if just I, saying. If, if I've got customized wheels on my car that indicates that I've got extra money to spend on frivolous stuff. I mean, that is that not a, a reasonable assumption? I right. would and say so, so. So that's kind of where, where we're at here is that I see a lot of this government spending on various different projects, whether it's school buildings or other government buildings or roads, and I see frivolous stuff on the uh, that's that indicates to me they've got well. too much money now. Well, I tell you what, guys, it's just the money needs to go for the purpose that the taxpayers That's pay correct. the money for. This this is not, excuse me, this is not the Bill Clinton slush fund in the general fund. is not the Bill Clinton slush fund. It's not we're going to put it all in this general fund. We're going to put all the money from the roads. We're going to put all the money from the auto parts. And then we're going to spend it. And then at the end of the year, we'll decide how much we can afford to give to the highway department. Well, people like flexibility politicians like flexibility but we need our tax money needs to be spent on what it's designated for we do it very good in the counties we do it very good in the cities the money and uh if that's the way it is that's fine but whenever it, there's a gray area then that gray area could be used for a development district for somebody's buddy so he can have a advantage to open a business that the rest of us would because we have a designated area that we're promoting businesses. So I don't want my tax money to go somebody's crony system. I want it to go for what I intended it for. Well, the yeah, other thing that I'd, I'd like to point out, too, yeah. is just pushing this out for a constitutional amendment again to um, – or the amendment to um, – keep that half cent sales tax around yeah. um, that's supposed to sunset sunset means in Correct. it doesn't mean sunrise mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that it was promised at the time this is going to end and I'm just not in favor of continuing with that it's supposed to end let's let it end let's keep that promise all right so uh, state representative Mayor Mayberry there you go how are you feeling how are okay. you feeling what's the what's the appetite in the house 
Is it is it to vote in more taxes or not? I, I the people I you talk to. For, I can't speak for everybody, but I of do know not. that I have talked to several um, who are disturbed. They want options. They want another option. Um, I don't want to be against something. I want to be for something, and so that's what I think. Several of us are trying to get together and work on an on an idea. Maybe it's one of these. Maybe it's even something else. But I do think that there is a, a group of us um, who, who want to work on another solution. Okay. Big group, so, small group, medium group? Right now, small, but that's okay. okay. There's All a right. lot of people who just stay silent, you know, for a little bit until they see. They don't really know exactly what it is. They, you know, they're just listening, and that's fine. Um, you don't always want to jump right out there. Let's see what that plan is. All right, HB 1502 so, and 1501, when will these be heard? Do you know? <laughs> They may never be heard. I, okay. I'm, I'm not chair of that committee, so if they, you know, uh, I, I hope that they'll be heard at some point. Okay. Um, so who do my uh, who do my listeners need to call and tell them that they got to hear those bills? Well, Joe Jed is chair of Revenue and Tax, so okay. it would go before him. And and right now, typically they don't meet a whole lot because they want other bills to go through first. I have mm-hmm. some other bills that are in there as well, and they just kind of sit until it's time. So. Um, he's a very fair person, but um, hopefully we can at least have an opportunity. Jonathan Barnett has told me that he'd be willing to come and speak on behalf of the bill. Okay. That'd so, I mean, he, he knows he knows this. This is his bill. This is not mine. This mm-hmm. is his bill. We need to update it. Um, there are some things we probably need to tweak in it. There were several amendments in 2013 that were added in there that may not necessarily need to still be added in there. And I kind of need some of those eyes uh, to help put it together. But... Um, let's get started. Sounds good to me. So, thank you very much for thank coming you. by. Thank you. Thanks we for appreciate having me. Good okay. ideas. Okay. Good ideas. Thank, thank you. you very much. All right, a break, and then we're back with more third floor house side Dave Ellswick show. Back in a moment. Well, guys, interesting what we heard from State Senator Terry Rice, and then what we've just heard from State Representative uh, Julie Mayberry. Uh, Mayberry, going back to. 1501, uh, House Bill 1501 that she's going to propose again, is right, came out five years ago. Barnett is the one who brought it up. Governor Beebe was the person who squashed it. And I always thought that it made sense to me, at least, that if you're going to charge sales tax on buying a car or buying a... um, you know, buying a, a used car or you're going to buy a battery or you're going to buy a piece for your car, that that money should be put towards the roads for which you're going to use your car on. You can't raise taxes that way, Dave. You've got a whole wrong concept. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not a tax raise there. And, and you're exactly, that gives accountability accountability and designation for where the money goes in. But There's one is, thing that they don't like is accountability. But it is revenue neutral. They should like it. <laughs> well, you would think. <laughs> you would think. But let me just, just for everybody who is listening, House Bill 1502 put forth by Representative uh, Mayberry. This law would provide funding for the maintenance and construction of highways, roads, streets, and bridges in the state using funds gathered from casino gaming, a privileged tax from revenues of casino gambling would be implemented. And I'm with her. They ran, they, you know, they ran ads saying that they would use that money to, to 
bolster the amount of money we needed to work on roads. Why isn't the gaming industry down here talking about that in, in front of uh, uh, the committee? And then uh, HB 1501, again, Representative Mayberry, this statute would gradually implement the sales and use tax revenue gathered from the sales of new and used vehicles for the maintenance and construction of roads, streets, bridges, and highways located within the state. Notice that doesn't even include in her bill, unless it's in there and I haven't read it, um, batteries, you know, and all the rest of the products that you can buy for your car. See, right now, basically, they're taking that money from those sales and they're spending it on different welfare programs or they're spending it on uh on who knows what hiking uh, trails yeah hiking trails yeah walking bridges one of my favorites not well you know in my opinion they're spending that money incentivizing people not to work but anyway so let's take that money and designate it that's an awesome idea and let's not add more money and then put it in a general fund so it's still not designated where it goes. So more of the same. Yeah. But but I tell you one thing, she's offering she's offering an alternative and too many times uh the state government and federal government will let a problem get completely out of hand, offer one alternative put together by a handful of people and then say it's our way or no way. Hmm. Yeah, I I would really like to know, again, how much money has been spent on ornamentation on the roadways. I mean, I'm, if you drive down 360, where they're working at now here in Little Rock, and you look uh, to your left or your right, they're already putting up the panels, and I don't know if those are for something for uh, sound or not. But on the on these panels, they've got all kinds of artful ornamentation. I'd like to know how much that added to the construction cost. Now, it may be only half a percent or a percent, but one percent of multiple millions of dollars is a lot of money. Well, we don't want that socialist program to look like a socialist program we don't look like a socialist we don't look like russia or something and just have everything be uh, <laughs> you know functional unit unitarian yeah, you know? so you don't want it just to be you know look like it's just built something that needed functional. to be built yeah to be functional well, well, just, to be used like, for something you know when, when i when you when you buy a utility trailer they don't put just a bunch of frilly stuff on it it's a lot of times they're angle iron or maybe pipe and they're simple well, you can get that diamond. You get the diamond tread plate on, yeah, the, on the plate fingers. on it and get it chrome. Well, yeah, you, you put aluminum you, wheels you, on you it can. and the white leather you, tires. You, you can. Special <laughs> edition. You, you can. And, but at the end of the day, a lot of times. It's still a trailer. It, it's still a trailer. Now, some people do like to buy fancier ones, and that's their business. But you can buy a simple trailer, and it's simple. You know, my grandfather worked for the Arkansas State Highway Department for about 40 years, so. Uh, in maintenance, so I know something about, you know, how the 
it works on the inside. But uh, whenever he got his cars in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, they didn't even come with air conditioning in them. Mm, that's right. So uh, his car didn't have air conditioning. He was Power much like the UPS yeah, driver. And that, and that might be he was kind of like the UPS driver. You know, he just got a basic car. Right, and that, maybe that would be a good approach to, to mandate for, for highway department vehicles. No air conditioning. Keeps them out of their vehicles. In the summertime, keep them from... from um, no, they'd say it's a health concern. No. Actually, probably better for them not to, not no, to have the air conditioning. No, no. You know as well as I do how they'll present it. You know, how can we make somebody go out and work in 98-degree heat and not have air conditioning? Maybe they the need a different here's job. The key. Here's the key. Yeah, but what about the guy who's in the private business and... He works out in that heat and everything, but if you're a public servant, you know, we'll take real good care of you. Well, I'd like to see how you lay asphalt and stay in air conditioning. <laughs> I agree with that. I've done that. It is not a cool job. You know, I've flagged traffic hot. on asphalt crews and stuff like that before. It's 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 a tough job, but... Somebody can do it and make some money at it. That's exactly right. If you don't like that job, then you go to school and or you open a business and you do something and you don't stay at the same the, job. The government made that illegal, though, <laughs> to, to start a business in yeah, so many cases. Trying to. And but, working on it even more. But I hope that during this hour, and if you didn't get to hear the whole hour, I suggest that you uh, go to Facebook.com uh, and the Dave Ellswick Show and click on the the video and yeah you have to look at my ugly mug but at least you'll hear all of the information that uh, senator rice had for us and then state representative mayberry had for us we have to applaud senator i mean representative mayberry yes for, for offering alternatives and go back to a uh, to accountability solution that was offered that uh, a democratic governor would not approve and i like what uh, what paul said it is revenue neutral yeah you're taken from one and giving it to another. Without, without we're not even, we're not raising the tax on cars or used cars. Not even changing the tax. You know, we're just, just moving it to the place it really should be at. Just reallocating the money, taking it from some place where the government is wasting it, and putting it to another place where the government might waste it. But maybe they'll waste it in a different way that's less destructive. We want to waste it in the area we intended it to be wasted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least we'll know where the know where the money is is going to. Yeah. All right, so uh, we'll have uh, news here at the top of the hour uh, when we come back, and then we'll have a final hour of discussion here. A lot of things still to discuss uh, that's out here uh, floating around. We knew the highway bills were going to start being heard uh, this week. We knew that there's, there's a group, and I don't know whether large group, medium group, large group, small group, what kind of size group it is, but there's, there may be enough to put a fly in the ointment, so to, so to speak. So we'll have to see uh, how this all plays out. That's why we come up here and sit and do this every day during the, uh, the time that these guys are meeting because we kind of keep you up to date on what they're, uh, they're talking about. So let's get our break in, then we'll be back with more. I'll send it back to Russ so we can get to the news, and then we'll be back with more here from the uh, third floor of the house side of the state capitol on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you here at the state capitol, third floor, house side, and uh, got some pretty nasty weather going on here in central Arkansas right now. There's a lot of thunderstorms rolling over us here. We and can actually we, hear it while we're inside. Yeah, this, kind, this of kind of looking, looking outside, and uh, 
kind of dark. Should be kind of light out there, and it's pretty doggone dark out there right now. Kind of dark for 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, it could be the bills that they're working on at the various committees. I'm just saying. Lord may be looking down and saying, wait a second here. They might want to get a little more honest is what we were talking about with the lightning striking (laughs) around out there. Make sure you tell the truth. (laughs) All right. So had some interesting things. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that we talked about in the last hour dealing with highways. And highways is going to be kind of the general topic going on here tomorrow and Thursday. And we'll get a little bit more feel for what the legislators are looking at. Now, there's some evidently legislators not happy with what they're looking at. I don't know if there's enough of them to derail it, slow it down, or or whatever. But uh, some people have different ideas about how they want to go uh, about all the stuff dealing with highways. You know, it seems like that we've done task force and uh, blue ribbon committees, and a lot of times that uh, when there's an issue on on different things, that uh, they'll get a group of people and a group of senators and, and representatives, and they'll kind of work on their own solution and. Uh, it seems like this one that's came down, uh, as far as the three cent and the six percent tax, that looks like that's, uh, in my opinion, a solution that came from the top down that a lot of people didn't have a lot of input in, and I don't see any accountability on. Yeah, I don't know, and it just it's, but I just kind of keep coming back to I, I want to see where they actually need money, and I'm just not seeing good evidence for that when they're spending money on frivolous stuff right now. I mean. Let, let me let, let me see evidence that they're being frugal with the money they're using now instead of the frivolous nature that they're spending it. Well, well, there's a lot of potholes out there, so you know it's kind of like education. If you got a problem, something's in bad shape, so uh, we need to raise taxes and right. and uh, and, uh, and spend well, more uh, money on right, it. Right, right. So it's it's kind of like you got a broken window, but you go out and buy flowers for the for the for the flower beds. What's your problem? Fix the stuff that's actually a priority when when I see the these ornamentation um, things on the on the side on the highways on the on the bridges and such if there's potholes that leads me to they're prioritizing wrong no here here here's what how I, I view this you've got broken windows instead of just using window panes you use some kind of stained glass <laughs> which is probably Ten times as expensive. Yeah, maybe twenty percent. <clears throat> what you I'm know, saying is, expensive. how many windows do you have, and how many windows do you actually need? Yeah, that's a question as well. Yeah. And but, how nice are the windows supposed to be? Right. That's a, yeah. You know, you don't. I mean, I look at you know the the capital, and the capital's really, really nice. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have done what they did they've already done it and it is what it is but the bottom line is boy this is some edifice that we've you could got build here. a bunch of roads with the money that would yeah. cost to build something like this i would yeah. think and maybe maybe a, a interstate 50 miles long but i'm one of those guys that i don't need a really fancy place to do my work in i mean all you gotta do is come to my house and know that i'm not a fancy kind of guy to be honest with you no and and i think uh, i'm sorry the waste in government is rather shameful well let's look on what i mean let's just look at different programs what do we spend on dhs what do we spend on roads 
and then go to some of the states around us whose taxes are considerably lower than us and go, how do they manage to pave roads and how do do they manage to do it cheaper? So, I mean, what's different about us that it takes so much more money to get something done? Well, we had, we've had state representative wing here Mm -hmm. and he came up with a different way of doing roads instead of doing a little piece of it and then going out and casting the next piece of yeah, it from what the next I, piece. From he saved just in the new work that they did over at the uh, entrance and exit ramps over there on Cantrell. He saved $7 million. Yeah, so I think I think his plan was to, to put to it in like fact a, everywhere. Sort, sort of like a general contractor. And so it's it sounds like from what his what he was dealing with is you basically provide some leadership to the program, and it improved efficiency and reduced cost. A huge amount it increased. And so that's, that's um, leadership is valuable, and paying a little extra for leadership oftentimes can mean that you actually save money in the long term because you don't waste as much when you have good leadership. Well, that's the reason we have lobbyists and experts to come in here and tell you everything. You have, so you don't have to do any research. Oh. You don't have to go sit in a classroom. All you got to do is listen to an expert and talk to the lobbyist, so, and you'll know exactly so what to do. That's what these lobbyists are, oh, are yeah. for. They're, they're yeah. for making things streamlined and more, uh, more um, economical. And, uh, without a doubt. Oh, All right. Arkansas has the nation's highest teen pregnancy rate. It also has one of the country's highest unintended pregnancy rates among women of all ages. Each one of these pregnancies, of course, strain families uh, at times because probably not uh, kids that you were, you know, knowing that were coming. Many of these pregnancies stem from uh, the the non-use of uh, contraceptives which can be attributed in part to burdensome hurdles that women have to clear to obtain birth control. For instance, they got to go see a doctor to be prescribed birth control pills. Now, Arkansas uh, is easily trying to resolve some of the problems by adopting a new way that a lot of other red and blue states alike, alike have been increasingly enacting, and it's the uh, pharmacy access model. It appears that there is momentum within uh, our state to do uh, just that, change this model. State Representative Aaron Pilkington, who we've had on the show already during this section, uh, has introduced House Bill 1164, which would permit women to bypass physicians and safely obtain oral contraceptives directly from a pharmacist. Representative Pilkington's primary rationale for his legislation is to, quote, encourage better health care decisions, lower teen unintended pregnancy rates, and expand birth control availability, thereby reducing the number of abortions. Regardless of one's stance on controversial life issues, uh, the benefits of Representative Pilkington's proposal are immense. So, um... What do you guys think? Do you think that a woman should have to go to a doctor to be able to go buy a birth control? Or no. should be should be able to go Walmart, Walgreens, USA Pharmacy, whomever it is, walk up to the pharmacy and say, I'd like to buy a 30-day supply of Abs- birth control? Absolutely not. I mean, it's none of the government's business what you buy at the pharmacy. 
I mean, and I think it should be expanded a lot more, but I understand the piecemeal nature of, of expanding liberty here. But why do I need government's permission through a doctor to go out and buy medications of any kind? I mean, if, if I've got... If I, if I need any kind of medication, why is it illegal for me to go buy medication? Well, I, I, mean, I agree I, with you, Paul, but... You've got two different issues here. You've got teenage pregnancy, which mm-hmm. you started out talking about. Then you then you got to talking about adults uh, not being able to to buy something because we need Big Brother to to decide if we really right. if we really really need it or not. Right. I think it's two different issues. Uh, the teenage pregnancy issue is not going to be solved by giving more access to our teens and and doing that around their parents. I believe. Parents are the head, are the head of their house, and they should decide. The parents should decide if their if their teenagers should have access to it or not. But this is a moral breakdown of our it, community. It is. It's a fornication it, it, issue. This is an issue that passing this bill is not going to hold, not going to bill so uh, address. So we need to break this down to two issues: one for adults. One for teenagers, and they need to be approached differently. And I would like to see if this bill has a age, uh, a age limit on being able to buy it or not. Because I believe, as a parent, that you should be able to know what your children have access well, to. Well, and I'm a little bit torn on that issue because if I want, if a if a parent want parent wants to send their child to the, to the grocery store to to buy whatever it is and then pick up prescription drugs or whatever it is something i think parents should be allowed to do that um on the other hand i understand the 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 concern your about year old yeah if you have about your 13 yeah. year old secretly buying that stuff but if you're secret if your 13 year old is doing stuff like that secretly maybe you need to watch your 13 year old a little closer well yeah maybe they don't need I to mean, go to public schools right i mean but when i was 13 years old i don't know if i could have I would have had the opportunity to go out and, and buy drugs. But there's there's some things that it. you have to have an ID for an age limit on. And I believe this is something uh, that you should have to have an ID and there should be an age mm-hmm. limit on it. And it's something uh, it's something that needs to be addressed. And uh, the, their family breakdown is, is, our, is our problem from government having to take care of everything from health care to our kids' care to everything is a breakdown of the family. So well, it's, I, not, it's not going to solve that problem. I think the breakdown of the family is a serious, is one of the major problems that we've seen in this country. When it comes to having age limits on stuff, I think one of the kind of go-to standards that I look at is if a child is old enough to be allowed to walk around in public without adult supervision, I think they should generally be allowed to exercise their rights. Just like if, if your 16-year-old daughter goes out and works at a gas station at night and then drives herself home, I think she should be allowed to carry a gun. I don't think she should, she should have to. Well, well to, if I was going to do that, uh, as a parent, whenever you're financially stable and you support yourself, you can have you all make, the freedoms the, that go with it. But as long as I'm the one that's paying right, the then, bills, and, if I'm paying for that She's driving back and forth to work. You make the rules. And she's living in my house, right. then she's going to live by my rules. Right, absolutely. I think that's how, how it should work. But as far as government's concerned, the government should not determine whether or not you're allow, you allow your 16-year-old to carry a handgun with her on her way back and forth to, to, to work at the gas station. I think you should make that decision on your own without the government intervening because I think you should, it's definitely reasonable for, for your 16-year-old daughter to be able to carry a handgun to protect herself from being raped by some thug. 
All right, let's yeah. take a break. We'll come back. We'll pick up this discussion. 823-0965 is the local number. Should uh, a woman be able to just go into Walgreens or Walmart or whatever and buy her birth control? Should she have to see a physician before she can buy her birth control? Let's hear what you have to say about that. Don't forget about PI Roofing. They've uh, bought Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services now. So you can get your uh, great service from PI Roofing for your roof and for your home repair expertise and for your gutter cleaning. They do all of it now. All the things that you need done around your household, you can get it done with the folks in PI Roofing. So they offer you something additional. additional. If you've been with Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Service, you now get the high-quality service on your roof and on your home repairs. Learn more. Go to piroofing.com. From the third floor, west side of the state capitol, it's the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, I wanted to let you know that uh, I talked a lot about uh, applied research of Arkansas, so um, I decided to go over and get involved. I've been accepted to their low testosterone uh, testing that they're doing, these uh, clinical studies they, they do, and I've met the parameters that I need to meet, and I'm supposed to be uh, get a call from them this week to go back over and get the advanced blood work and then move forward uh, in this uh, low testosterone study. You can do the same thing that I'm doing by just giving them a call at 501-954-7822 or going online to arcarkansas.com. If you go online, uh, you'll see all the different studies that they're doing. Uh, you, you do the pull-down menu, you look, and you see what... Uh, maybe specialty things that you have to meet uh, to be considered to be a uh, participant, and they'll be happy to do that for you. Uh, you can apply online, again, at arcarkansas.com or call them at 501-954-7822. You, uh, you get uh, free study-related care and medication as well as compensation for time and travel. That's Applied Research of Arkansas, arcarkansas.com. Okay, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're on the third floor over by the House side. Doug House is standing over. Come on over, State Representative House, and make yourself comfortable. Belly on up to the bar, as we like to say. How are, how are things going uh, with you, sir? Oh, things are going pretty good. Uh, you know, hey, that's nice to be. Uh, it's nice to be a lawyer because you're trained. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Okay. So you know, sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. Okay. So, did you win today or did you lose today? Uh, I actually won today. Okay. What you win on? Uh, see, got a little four percent tax uh, going. I got that win, I believe, and uh, I think that was all I did today. What was the four percent tax it's on? on? The, it's on the medical marijuana. Okay. Yeah. I've wondered, you know, I've kind of wondered about that. They're starting to come out now and taxing gambling uh, for roads. I know that Julie Mayberry has a bill pending on that. The governor has said that he'd like to go in and get some money out out of gambling. And I've wondered why nobody has said, you know, we should tax 
the living crap out of uh, marijuana and use it. Uh, no, this is medical marijuana. This is medicine to people, you know, so we don't want to tax people's medicine. But two years ago, we, we put a 4% tax on any product with THC in it that changes hands. So it could get taxed four times from the grower to the to the user. Okay. But uh, that's the only way we knew to do it because uh, other people's experience really wasn't going to work well. It had a sunset clause on it. It would expire July the 1st of this year. So all we did is renew the sunset clause, give us about a year's experience, and we could probably find a more equitable way to tax that stuff. Let's designate it for roads. Well, you know, that's something that I'm going to uh, work on. We have a provision in our Arkansas Constitution that says every tax will be dedicated for a specific purpose. In other words, all of our money in this state government is earmarked. Now, the easy one is like gas tax, right? Sure. Everybody knows your gas tax goes to the roads, and nobody has any problem with that. We're not talking about that. But, you know, if you give everybody a dime, you can't buy something for a dollar. You've got to collect all those dimes and go buy what you need. Maybe this year we need to fix roads. Maybe next year we need to put in some new bridges. Maybe next year we need some roofs on schools. Maybe next year we need a new wing at the state prison. Who knows? But we can't move money around in state government like you can in your household or in your business. I'd like to see that changed. All right. With that thought, let's hold. And can you stay with us for a few minutes? No, I really got to get out get there in the weather, man. All right. Yeah, it's bad out there. Yeah. See All you right. later. We'll talk to you later. All right. We'll get, we'll get the state representative back on. Representative Doug House, that's a pretty nice little thing to talk about. We might pick that up when we come back. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. We're over on the third floor on the house side. Thanks for being with us. There's your scoop. Oh, thank you very much. All right, we'll talk about this. He just left us something. We'll tell you what it is when we come back. You can learn uh, all the little-known strategies that could help you save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes with a free tax reduction analysis you can get that with david lucas of david lucas financial he's the host of the david lucas show you hear him here on 101.1 the answer david's a published author and he's right here in little rock this free analysis will reveal the little known strategies and loopholes that could help you save thousands of dollars in taxes with your ira 401k social security benefits and more to get your free analysis, be one of the first 10 callers right now, 501-653-6690. It's your opportunity to save tens of thousands of dollars in taxes in retirement. The numbers again, 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690. All right, so let's go back and finish up. We were talking about birth control. Should it be switched around so that women can buy birth control by uh, just going to the pharmacy and buying it or should they still be required to go see a uh, physician well right you know some things uh change your body some chemicals and some medicines do and sometimes something needs to be regulated and needs to be tested about what the levels are so i am definitely not a doctor and i'm sure some of these products that we're talking about birth control are safer than others but uh i think you might need it maybe a nurse practitioner is someone that would might be qualified or someone but uh uh, I guess that's risk you could still take, well, though, and, and it's risk 
that you could do it right or not doing right and, and not need you know I mean, someone to at, tell you what to do. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, Tylenol is poisonous if you take too much of it, but the thing is that that people need the liberty to, to be able to make their own decisions here. And, or, and, <clears throat> and you know, if, if somebody wants to go out and buy this stuff, Maybe they're not trained in using it, but, you know, they have labels on the stuff that you can tell you how to use it, and it's not like it's something that's rarely ever used in this country. Lots and lots and lots of people use it. It's not rocket science. And while it may not be a good idea to even use this stuff, I don't think it should be illegal for people to buy it without a doctor's prescription. And so I think it's just a, kind of a simple liberty issue here. Whether or not it's a safe, a safe thing to use, I don't know. But that's not the point. The point is, should should women have the right to buy the stuff without a doctor's prescription? I think definitely they should. All right. Let me move. And we had uh, Representative uh, Wing come by today mm-hmm. and said that the pieces, uh, pieces of legislation that are going through the committee process that would allow an optometrist to do things that ophthalmologists do yeah ophthalmologists do and they're trained to do them it just they don't they Mm -hmm. don't do them Uh, or they're not they're not allowed to do it uh they have a a license right now and this goes back to what paul you and i and and rd even you as well have talked about you know how much control should these organizations have over people i mean if you've been taught in uh, medical school to be able to do all of these different processes shouldn't you be able to do it it's going to give more people that can do these things where you got people out in rural areas maybe they don't have to drive as far to mm-hmm. to get it done and things of that nature and evidently there was a huge brouhaha about it today and uh state representative wing said uh, huge huge crowd well he thought with a couple of changes, so they, they were going to be able to make it through committee. Right. And so there, and I think a lot of times what happens is that we've got a combination of people that that say they are in favor of protecting the consumer, but at the same time, a lot of times the same more, people are also protecting their turf. Well, they're more they're more concerned about saving and protecting your bank account. Well, and, and it's they protected their turf from competition, so that's it. I think... That's what ends up happening, and so consumers get get um, get hurt by it because they they don't get the the advantages that come with competition. Because competition does two things: a lot of times it brings the price down and it brings the quality up. We yeah. see that with a lot of electronics and things of that nature. Prices have go- been going down, and quality goes up. I mean, look what look at what a VCR cost back when they first come out. They were about a thousand dollars flat screen TV, and now you can get now you can get um, the, the latest version, which is far better than a VCR, for for what twenty bucks? That's similar, or, 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 or something of that nature. And and you don't, um, you you just quality is going up because there's serious competition. Whereas in other industries where the competition is so stifled, costs rise. Monopoly. You know, if you remember a couple of years ago, there were a lot of bills about nurse practitioners, and there's a lot of rural areas in Arkansas to where there's not, there's not a lot of doctors and mm-hmm. nurse 
practitioners didn't have the ability to uh, uh, give some medicines or, or or do some procedures, and so people are actually doing without care in rural area because there weren't enough doctors around. So uh, nurse nurse practitioners, you know, are trained in that area. So sometimes more freedom and more leeway is, is in getting access to something is better than nothing. Well, see, and that's the point. If they had not been trained, that's one thing. But they have been trained. So what's the problem other than it's going to take some money out of somebody else's pocket? That's what it comes down to. And that's, in so many cases, we we just get harmed because of an abundance of caution and maybe more so the, the stifling of competition, which... In, in so many cases, it just doesn't leave us better off. It leaves us worse off with worse care and more expense. In so many cases, prices um, do not go down at the same levels um, when the government co- imposes licensing or, or heavy regulation. It ends up protecting the industry but doesn't protect the consumer. Yeah, we saw the bill to where right now you already have to go through an extensive system or training system and apprenticeship system to uh, be in the heating and air business. So very heavy license in the heating and air industry. So uh, there was actually a bill for continued education for the heating and air industry. So if you have a license and you haven't been going back to school every year or whatever, it's at some point, you know, it's somebody trying to get a monopoly and hold well, on to it I mean, so if, if you want to hire me i'm not a licensed heat and air guy i know a little bit about it but if you wanted to hire me to come and replace the heat and air system in your house shouldn't you have the right to do that yeah i, I believe mean, so yeah and, and maybe maybe i don't have the credentials but you say you know what you know i, I know paul he's not going to cheat me um I'd rather pay him than somebody else, and maybe I offer to do it for half the price of the other guy because maybe I know I'm not as experienced, but I think I can do a good job. And so it should be legal for you to hire me to provide that service to you. And the the alternative is that it may be that you actually already know a lot about it yourself, and you just want somebody to do the grunt work, and so you hire me to do the grunt work for you, and and you look it over and you approve it, and it's like, it's in good shape. We're good to go. You should have the right to do that. I think it's absurd for the state to come along and say, well, R.D. Hopper, you're just not smart enough to hire the guy who, who you need to hire. And so we're going to give you this list of people you're allowed to hire from, and you're not allowed to hire anybody else. Hopefully we'll see more of that in the future. Hopefully. We need more freedom. There seems Hopefully. to be much more uh, bills moving that way through this session thus far. Although it's kind of calmed down, we started off this session, uh, Paul, we to with that. Cooper some, and, and and I'm not sure exactly where where in the line we're looking at there. He he had a bill that was gonna gonna help some, I think. And and but I I would like to see some liberty coming out of this. Is like you know why on earth is it illegal for someone to hire me to cut their hair? I don't have a license to cut hair, but I can cut your hair. Well, why is it illegal for me to grow a plant? to sell to a nursery. That's stupid. 
I don't understand I don't that. Know, somebody no, no harm, no well, foul. Because there. we had Democrats in 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 charge of Arkansas for a long time. Oh. Democrats have been running things in Arkansas, and they put a system together. They've got all these boards, yep. and, and these and, and, boards are all appointed by the governor, and they they have a stronghold. Well, and once you get government growing and get a stronghold, then so then it is hard to root it out. So there's this philosophy that. Lawmakers know that they're not qualified to make these decisions, but they, they think that they are qualified to pick out some experts who can make these decisions. Now, unfortunately, these lawmakers, they're no more qualified to, to make the decisions themselves than they are to make the decisions on who the experts are in many cases. Because you know, if I don't know how to wire a house, how am I going to come along and determine if you're an expert on wiring houses? Is there any way I can do that? Well, you heard what I said earlier. Uh, just hire a lobbyist, maybe. The, <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll help you pick out the experts. The so, one that write them the biggest check will be the expert. Right. And so, so how, so how <laughs> can how could a, a legislator possibly know who to appoint to a board or who to establish as as members of a board? To determine who's allowed to make a living in a certain field. I can tell you when they'll point, they'll, the ones that they support to come up here, the ones that don't think for themselves and do what they're all told. Well, or maybe those, who, the ones maybe that, those that, who squeal the loudest. And, and yeah. so sometimes it's, well, my, comp- my, com- my competition is doing bad work, and I, and I think it's bad for the public. So you've got to appoint me to a board to tell these people they can't make a living doing this job because we just can't trust those people unless they jump through these licensing hoops that I'm going to help establish, which incidentally will also keep competition. Cut out the riffraff. Yeah, cut out the riffraff. <laughs> but in fact, riffraff is a good part of competition in many cases because there's there's a lot of times when when some people only need the riffraff, they don't need the high-quality folks. Sometimes you just need someone who can bear. Or maybe you can right. only afford right. the less. That's exactly. Right. If you're going to get somebody to paint your car, and the car's worth fifteen hundred dollars. That's what you're saying. Right. You get the guy down the road right. to paint it in his backyard or in his right. garage. With rattle cans. Yeah, yeah exactly right. right. You right. don't take it down to the dealership and pay him forty five hundred dollars. Right. And that's a great example because sometimes you'd need the riffraff available because your fifteen hundred dollar car is not worth spending thousands and thousands of dollars i think a good paint job actually for for some of these show cars is upwards of ten thousand dollars oh in yeah some 40 cases. or fifty thousand and so the um because it's a real pain in the neck to do it right but the problem is is when the government comes along and says you can't get a car painted unless you get them to do it the forty thousand dollar way that's you can't right. get a cheaper right. heat and, and air unit put in your house and that's you're going to do we, it our way or you're not going to get it that's at what all. we have with medical care and, and a lot of other things you lessen the competition and the prices go up right and the people who are still in are the ones that are making the gravy yeah let's see how's it working in detroit is it working out real good in detroit yeah i don't know as far as yeah as unions i'm referring to the unions and all the manufacturers that are shut down so you know that's what they come in and said if you don't give us everything we want can we just try liberty can we just try it i mean uh, all the Dumb things that That's we do a scary in this country. Thing to do. Why are we afraid? Scary thing to do. Why are we afraid of our neighbors having the liberty to choose who they hire? Why yeah. is that such a big deal? It's you know, if you still want to hire the licensed guy, you hire the licensed guy. But why is it that you feel like it's acceptable to tell me that I have to hire the licensed guy, and that's the only person I'm allowed to hire? You should know by now, Paul. I mean, how old are you? 37. 37. You should know by now 
everybody may not know how to run their own life, but they sure know how to run yours. All right, let's take a break. We got one more break. <laughs> and I don't going. even have any kids. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> let's talk about uh, Sonny's Auto Salvage. Since I got the man here who runs Sonny's Auto Salvage, does a great job. Talk about. Let's say somebody needs a, a motor. Uh, how are you going to save them money over there, RD? Well, we do uh, recycling that that is profitable and saves money we're going to go buy a wreck car that someone was driving every day and we're going to bring it in and we're going to run it out and test it make sure it's in good shape we're going to offer a better warranty than oftentimes the remanufactured or the new ones will so we're going to offer a one two or three year warranty we're going to offer a labor warranty so if you have a problem that we'll even pay the labor to change it and we're going to offer you a half price product with all of the same warranties to the full for the full price product all right and you can uh I think uh, let's just talk about my car. We put a new motor in it. Uh, typically, if you took something that was EOM, you went out, you bought it from a company, you put it in, did uh, all the things necessary. Uh, probably, it's going to cost about fifty percent more. Correct? That's correct. So we're going to be we're going to be half the price with all the service. So we want to make sure, however long you're keeping your car. And, and what your plan is that we have a, a warranty tailored to make sure that when you spend the money that you dedicate for that, you get the service out of it is that you need to get it. Well, I'll be one of the first people to tell you I've used Sonny's Auto Salvage now many times, two motors, a transmission, some other things, and I have not had any problems with any of the cars, with any of the work that's been done. If you want to try them out, you want to talk to R.D. or one of his professionals, call this number, 982-7451, 982-7451. From the third floor, House Side, the State Capitol, we'll be back. Finish it up for uh, today with the power panel on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's finish it up for today with our power panel. Paul Calvert, R.D. Hopper here. Jan Morgan will be back again next Tuesday to join us, and we're giving her the necessary uh, type of, uh, I guess, cables that she needs so that she'll be able to hook her stuff up to our stuff, and you'll be able to hear what's going on on the radio over her Facebook. Sounds good. And even see what's going on on the radio. Oh, yeah. And that's been going. I've been watching. Uh, Zach is, if you're watching right now, that's Zach. So whenever you're watching my show and you don't see anything on Facebook Live, call him. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you got. If Dave says something you don't agree with, call Zach. That's right. Call Zach. (laughs) You can call Russ, too. Russ will talk to you also. But the bottom bottom line is, is that Zach has done a awesome job of uh, keeping the Mevo up and running. He's been switching between uh, technologies to make it possible. You see? He's shaking his head up and down. You can can hear the rocks in his head. (laughs) It's good that we've got Zach here this year. You know, in the last couple years we've been at the Capitol, whenever things would go down, we would be scrambling around trying to figure out what was going on. I've even had to run back for a I even had to run back and forth. Yeah. You ran all the way back. You've driven all the way back to the station to pick up things before. Yeah. Things that have to be done. (laughs) All right. We're down to about four minutes left here, guys. Most interesting thing you've heard today. 
Paul? Hmm. Man, I don't know. I saw a piece of legislation run this morning where it um, dealing with driving while intoxicated. They're trying to include tractors into that into that piece of legislation to um, change the law so that you can get a DWI or something to that effect while you're driving a tractor. So <laughs> you don't have to be lonely, go to farmers.com or whatever? I, I don't know. Um, okay. it, it, one of the interesting things that was on that bill was they were also adding that you had to get um, substance tested, chemical tests, if you... Um, Cause if there's a serious injury involved in the accident, apparently, and so right now, if you if there's somebody that dies, or is so seriously injured that they think they're going to die, that they're going to die, then they require a, a blood alcohol test of some sort. But with this legislation, it would actually include serious injuries, so that could drastically increase the number of people who get um, tested. All after I can accidents. say is there must have been a high One speed guy. tractor tractor. Uh, you know, people have been getting run, drunk on like, their tractors like, and running well, them up. Uh, well, yeah. they, they did actually have somebody that had that that um, that died in a tractor accident. And okay, so one person out of how many farmers in Arkansas? So we got to have a law about it. It's yeah, amazing. one law, I, I don't less know. freedom. There you I, I go. Don't, I don't know if it's relevant or not. I, I don't have a problem with punishing people <laughs> for hurting other people. <laughs> I don't have a problem with punishing people for for hurting other people while they're intoxicated, but. Do we really need to, to make a special law to no. to to dramatically no. in, increase the number of? No, we don't. Right, and so I, so so seriously, I, I don't mind punishing. You know who people. comes out in, in front on that? The government, the government, and lawyers. Well, and, and part of my there'll be problem, a certification and there'll be a fee. Part, a fee part of my issue that. is that that all these all this extra testing when you've got cases where clearly the person is not intoxicated, it was just an accident and. You don't need to test people. I think we have Fourth Amendment issues that that would come up there. Is that you know if there's no probable cause, don't give people blood tests. All right, R.D. We've got two. I got a minute. Well, hey, I like to hear that that uh, that a representative Mayberry and a few people have coming up with some alternatives for uh, funding and some accountability on making sure that our tax money is spent on what we intend it to be spent on and not just passing more gas taxes and putting in a general revenue fund. Very so good. So I'm encouraged by that. I, I am too. I just hope there's enough of them to make a difference. Me too. Bud. That's the key. Yeah. All right, R.D. Opera, thank you for coming by. Enjoyed by the way, it. if you, you need a piece or a part for your car, you can get it over at Sonny's. He'll take care of you about that. Paul Calvert, thank you. Yes, if you sir. need a place to to live, where should they call you, Paul? Well, you can check me out on Facebook. I I, I post stuff from time to time on Facebook. I don't really have very much available right now, but um, as far as rental properties, but okay. check me out on Facebook. Check him out. All right, Paul Calvert under Facebook yeah. uh, If you like politics, I post a lot of stuff on politics and religion and philosophy. They hear enough of you here. <laughs> All right. We got we got a break. We got to have the news and then be back. The Bible guys are next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final hour it is. We are looking at a uh, Tuesday, and then the last hour it's the Bible guys. And man, we got a bunch of questions today for everybody. They came in yesterday, and then a bunch of them came in today. So let me uh, start off right off the bat. Let's see. I got to turn up microphones here. I got you guys ready to go now. All right. Let me turn that one down. Yeah. 
All right, so let's, let's start off the first one. Pat sent us this question. It says, is the Ezekiel 38, chapter 38, war, and Psalms 83 war, one and the same? Now, I'm going to assume here that Ezekiel 38 is dealing with war, and that Psalm 83 is dealing with war, and you're wondering, this person's wondering if it's the same war mm. that the two of them are talking about. Right, right. Um, well, we have to, whenever we look at uh, books like Ezekiel, um, we have to automatically look at the type of uh, the literature that's written. And this is what we call apocalyptic literature. Um, and I don't know if there is, um, sometimes in apocalyptic literature, it's, um, it's not always as easy just to say it's a war about this particular place. Sometimes it's giving a message of victory, a message of dominance or whatever. So um, I'm going to pass over to my colleague Billy here. But for me, I don't, I couldn't say definitively. It's it's talking about the two, you know, two, uh, two separate wars or one or one war. I don't think anybody knows definitively. And then again, if you throw in the idea of the apocalyptic literature, it could um, very well be uh, not. Yeah, and I'm going to say the same thing. So there are two things we're dealing with: one uh, one book that is apocalyptic literature, and the other one which is poetry, um, and. Psalms, a lot of times, is simply the, the crying out of, of what's being felt and expressed at that time. Um, and as far as Psalms 83, um, that does not appear to refer, to me, does not appear to refer to a specific battle. The people groups that are named are the ones that harass Israel all the time. Um, while they are known by different names, they're all still there today. Um, that Nothing has changed there. So I, I don't see a specific um, sort of confrontation uh, in in the the Psalms eighty three passage, but uh, it can um, all be part of the same thing because this is not. We, we often get focused on a specific event. We're waiting for a thing, uh, and in reality, the entire Word of God is telling this one really long story. It, this is not; these pieces aren't disconnected from one another. Right. They're all woven together into one story. Um, so. Is this a a precursor to or a part of what's going on in that later story? Probably, because we're still dealing with the same people groups. But it doesn't seem, Psalms 83 doesn't seem to to refer to a specific battle to me. And let me just go ahead and clarify. When we say apocalyptic literature, uh, I think we need to clarify that because I think for us it's kind of uh, just kind of rose off the tongue. But apocalyptic literature is a form of, it's a, it's a literary form or a genre, and it, and it doesn't, it's almost like, you know, if uh, you don't read a piece of poetry the way you would read a narrative or a prose, right. you know, we read them differently. You know, if we say our, you know, our love, your, your love is like a, like a red, red rose, we, we know that it's not that, because when we're reading poetry, we realize it's not literally a rose, so we know automatically to understand it figuratively. When you're dealing with apocalyptic literature there are certain rules that govern how you read it. it's apocalyptic in the sense it's dealing typically with things that are cataclysmic or the end of time and god uses metaphor to describe an intent like in apocalyptic literature um the, the sun would typically refer to a father or a king the moon is typically a mother or a queen uh stars are typically princes or tribal members just like whenever remember whenever uh joseph has a dream and he says the sun and the moon bowed down to me that was his and the stars did too that was about his mom and his dad and his brothers and they recognized that immediately how dare would you say yeah and they bow down yeah why would they be so upset and because their interpretation was how would you why would we bow down to you they understood immediately it was talking about mom and dad so it's a form of, of writing and when you don't approach it 
Hebraically, you really are kind of lost in the fog because you don't know the typology that it's using. There. Yeah, and that's what um, Revelation from yeah, from, from the first apostate. page to the end of yeah. it is all apocalyptic literature. And if you don't begin to try to interpret yeah. that um, Hebraically, you will absolutely mess up that entire book. And that you it's, get lost. Yeah, you do. And it is the best example of pointing to someone. And go here. What here's what um, apocalyptic literature looks like because we understand that. Uh, whatever it is that's coming is not really giant locusts with scorpion tails, and, yep. and it's not it's not all of these things. Uh, those that's language used to describe something that was going on. And the vast majority of people who will teach on the book of Revelation or try to interpret it have no understanding of Hebraics I'm whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The, there are four hundred and four verses in the book of Revelation, and there are five hundred and fifty references from the book of Revelation to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Right. It's pretty. It's a pretty amazing. So if you don't connect it back to the Old Testament, you're not going to have any idea what's happening there. So. And before we get out of today, we'll let you have your say about Andy oh, Stanley yeah. as well. Oh, did you guys talk about that? <clears throat> we the last did. Two weeks two we've weeks talked ago, yeah. about. Did you play clips of him? As yes, well? I did play a big clip from oh, him. Did you? Okay. He's a. It's scary. It's scary. It's heretical. Uh-huh. I mean, it really is. Mm-hmm. It's. It's not good. Yeah. Not good. I got to believe his father is like. Thinking he's going to have a heart attack at any time. It's uh, it's it's sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's very very sad because he has I think like what thirty five thousand people that are part of his congregation, uh, if not 40, more. Was over forty. Um, their ministry claims to reach about a hundred thousand in any given week. Incredible. So. All right, another question for you. I think we. I think yeah, we, we've done with that. Yeah. All right. Why do we have oh. so many people? We hear this question a lot. Okay? Yeah. This is a. Probably a, an on an ongoing question that's being asked by a lot of people, and rightly so. Sure. Uh, why do we have so many people teaching so many different things? Everyone says they are hearing from God, but all the sermons are different. Why? <laughs> God is not divided and should be saying the same things to his children. Am I wrong? <laughs> uh, it, n- no. Uh, <laughs> but... but. But let me just let me take the most the easiest um, way of looking at this. I, of course, I don't understand exactly the exact motivation behind what the person's saying. So, are we saying that every congregation, every Sunday, the pastor should be preaching the same thing? No, I don't think that's yeah. what they're saying. If they're saying that, then the answer would be, of course not, because every congregation is deals with different people with different needs, different situations, and so therefore the sermons are going to be the Holy Ghost is going to speak to that congregation, what they're going through as a group or as individuals. So that's all going to be uh, different. Now, the broader question is, should they all be preaching the same thing when it comes to the the greater uh, context of God's Word? And what do you think about that, Billy? Well, and I think probably the crux of that question is denominationalism. Um, and I will tell you, there, there are several underlying causes for that. One is that we are Greek-minded. Um, and we get into, I was having this conversation with someone this morning uh, and I was talking about Halakha and we've talked about Halakha, which is literally how I walk out my faith. Yep. And a Greek mind. I was just going to say, you're going to talk about this Greek and Hebrew thing again here in a few minutes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, right. Can we have another question about about the Greek mindset? You're right. This Greek mindset, um, teaches us that there is one correct answer. Mm -hmm. And Hebraically, that is simply not the case. What my walk looks like is not necessarily what Scott's walk looks like, is what Steve's walk looks like. We, we have we have different weaknesses, and therefore there are things we avoid. We have different strengths. Therefore, there are places we can walk in strength that others can't. And uh, Hebraically, that does not separate us. But in the Western world, where we are taught that 
A plus B equals C. If your walk doesn't look like mine, I go down the street and start a new church. Mm-hmm. And that is the primary cause for all the denominationalism that exists. Well, I believe that this verse means this, and you believe it means something else, so obviously we can't fellowship. That was never um, the way God intended that to be. And the other answer to that is that we have an enemy, mm-hmm. and his job is to cause confusion and convince people to fight and bicker and uh, be in disunity because God desires for us to be unified. So anytime Satan can cause disunity, he's doing his job. Yeah. Yeah, there are uh, there are forty thousand different Christian denominations in the world today. Forty thousand. Can you believe that? Yeah. You, you, you can just you can look at them on Google right now. You can see there's forty thousand, and many of them are divisions within one denomination. Yeah. General Baptist, Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Primitive Baptist. I mean, go down, go down. I mean, we and why? Because well, you like green shoes and I like brown shoes, and right. so therefore I'm going to go with all the brown shoed people. And so, and it's petty, and it's small, and and um, you know what? It's it's sad that we're in that place. Jewish people have basically we've got a handful of different variations within yep. uh, Judaism. It's very small, but so so we should be preaching the same message. Yeah, sure, we should all have the same message, but the expression of that message will be different based upon uh, where we're at and what God has for those local congregations. But we should be pretty much on point with each other, although we should have. There always is going to be variations because people always have a different experience. Yeah, and I will. I I did not make that statement a moment ago. I will say that we we cannot put truth on the pile of sacrifice for the sake of unity. Uh, we will seek unity with everyone, mm. but if we have to compromise truth to do that, we can't do that. that that's just. I'm sorry, um, Messiah didn't didn't couch the truth. I mean, he was very honest with people. Uh, so were all the apostles. I'm not going to twist or bend truth to fit someone else's opinion just for the sake of unity. But um, if you can accept the fact that the way I am living my my life uh, within the bounds that God has created for me uh, is my business, and uh, I can accept the fact that yours is yours, and that you know we're not talking about sin. Sin is something radically different. Uh, sin, we have to call. We are given instructions for how to handle one another when we're in sin. But if it's just about how we're walking out our holiness, that should never interfere with our ability to be in unity with one another. That's what Paul meant when he says, "Work out your salvation with fear, fear and trembling." Well, there, I think you're. I think part of what you're talking about there is just conformity. Like if you want to go to our church, then you will wear a tie and a sports coat, or you will wear no makeup or have no makeup on. You will bun so, on your head bun, or no yeah. bun. So it's all, it all like you're going to conform to our group's ways more so than conforming to, um, to God's, uh, to God's word. I mean, right. someone can love God as much as I do and have, have dreadlocks. It doesn't matter. And have tats. I, it does. Yeah. And it, it's all a heart issue. And for clarification, Scott is not saying if you're going to his church, that's the way you will be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was that's trying to create an example, out. but just, the way it came out was. I'm just giving an example. <clears throat> yeah, right. right. We got to get a break in. Let's do that. When we come back, Rachel has a couple of questions dealing with uh, why was Jesus baptized as well as are there still apostles and prophets today? So we'll get into that here in just a moment. Uh, let me say hello to a brand new advertiser with the Dave Ellswick Show. That's uh, the uh, uh, Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency over in Sherwood. He is an all-state insurance agent. He uh, does all things, uh, you know, all-state. He knows all about Mr. Mayhem. And we'll do everything to do that he can do to make it so that he doesn't bother your life. Call him at 501-81, not Mr. Mayhem. This is uh, Dwayne. 
501-819-0373. That's 501-819-0373. And uh, talk to him because he can handle anything that you can throw at him and probably at a much more reasonable price than what you have. Uh, he's also located at 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. That's uh, the Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. More coming back with them. Got some good questions from Rachel. Rachel says, why did Jesus need to get baptized if he is God? I thought this was something done by those who, and in all caps, follow after God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll jump in and kind of give my two cents, and I'll pass over to Billy. Um, right. John's... This baptism isn't like a normal baptism. Um, John's baptism, most of us will know, was the baptism of repentance. And, of course, Jesus had nothing to repent for. So this was not a baptism of repentance. If you follow the story, I believe it's in Matthew 3, where Jesus goes into the water. Jesus looks at John and he says, he says uh, well, John, first of all, says, why are you coming to me? I, I need to be baptized. If you, you see his inadequacy in, in the presence of the Savior... But then Jesus says, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Right. So what was about to happen was not just about Jesus, but it also dealt with, with John. It was an us thing that was right. going to happen here. And it's my, my conviction that uh, Jesus, um, the most often, I'm going to take a little step back here, the most often quoted verse of Scripture in the New Testament is from Psalm 110. And it says, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's quoted more in the New Testament than any other verse of Scripture. And I believe what's happening here in this baptism with John is a transferal of, uh, of priesthood. Yeah. Because what happens is John is a priest. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a king. He was born of the tribe of Judah. Actually, Roman Hebrews chapter 7 says it was, it's obvious that our, our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Yet he becomes a high priest. How does he do that? Well, he has to... In inaugurate the Melchizedekian priesthood. And who was, Mel- who was Melchizedek? He was Melech Sadiq. He was king of righteousness. So what happens is uh, he's baptized of John. And what happens after this baptism? John's ministry ends. The Holy Ghost descends, anoints Jesus, and get this. From this point forward, he does his first miracle. Before this, no miracles. After the baptism, miracles. Before this, the Holy Ghost wasn't descending. After this, the Holy Ghost ascended. Before this, John's ministry was working. After this, John's ministry is over. And so what happens is Jesus begins to inaugurate the Melchizedekian priesthood through the power of the king um, and the uh, and the priest. And this is what we see happening at this particular moment. This is a, 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 a meeting of God's purpose. And I'll quickly say this, and I'll pass it to Billy. Whenever in, within a priestly setting, if you have a high priest in the temple, and the high priest is going to, if he doesn't die in office, um, the way he inaugurates a new high priest, or even if he does die and they bring somebody else in, the way the old outgoing high priest inaugurates the incoming high priest is he takes him, and in the presence of all the people, he baptizes him. Right. And when he baptizes him, uh, he then basically transfers his priesthood and the old priest steps away, and the new priest inaugurates a new uh, priestly age. This is why Jesus was being baptized, to obtain a priesthood, because the Bible says that, that, that the priest must, and also there in Hebrews 7, it says, for he must also have something to offer. Jesus offered himself. The only person who can offer a sacrifice, sacrifice is a priest. Is a priest. A king named Saul 
He tried to offer a sacrifice, and what happened? God said, the kingdom's torn from you. Yep. Hezekiah, Hezekiah runs from the temple, tries to offer incense, and what happens? The priests say, this pertains to the priest and not to you, O king. He's hit with leprosy, loses his kingdom. So on and on, priests tried to step over and function as a priest, and they failed and lost their kingdom. Jesus comes as a king, obtains a priesthood, and then inaugurates that age through this act with his cousin John. That's my answer of why Jesus had to be baptized. Yeah. That would, and that, was, that would have been my exact answer as well. The, part of what's going on here is um, Jesus showing approval for John. Uh, part of it is receiving that uh, priesthood. And then part of it is uh, this is not the only time, while it's not recorded in the Scripture, I can, I can guarantee you it's not the only time that Jesus went down in water uh, because that, that is a, a common everyday sort of occurrence in the life of a Jew at this period in history. Anytime you went up to the Temple Mount, you were going to go through a baptism. Anytime you're going up into the temple, uh, anytime you'd come into contact with anything that was not uh, clean, so anything that was ritually unclean. Now, that is not sin. That is a cleanliness issue, but that required water um, to be cleansed again. So this is, uh, it is the, the one time it's recorded because it is uh, unusual in its event. It's unusual in its significance. It's it's Jesus coming to John. It's not just Jesus passing through a mikvah somewhere. Um, so the mikvah's the, a baptistry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uh, the authors recorded this because it had um, extra significance, if you will, and it, that's got everything to do with passing that priesthood uh, and that approval being shown, um, the spirit descending as it did uh, visibly, so that people could go. Oh yeah, there's something going on here. And, and this is the one of the only times in the Bible where we see all three persons of the Godhead present in the same spot. Jesus is in the water, the Holy Spirit is coming down, and God the Father speaks out of heaven and says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased." We have a we have a concoff, or we have a we have a the a, Trinity, a holy, holy Council there at this event. This is different. It's special. There's something unique about what is happening right now. Jesus can't offer himself unless he's a priest. The, he does, he's not a procrastinator. His first day of ministry, basically, he gets the priesthood so he can do the work that he has to, uh, that he has to do. Amazing. So, it, God is perfect, isn't he? And so might be why we say that you have to understand the Jewishness mm-hmm. of everything that's going on. Yeah, that's right. Because if you think about it, John is out baptizing, but guess what? There's no church. No, How did right. John know to baptize before a church came along? Because right. they'd been baptizing for thousands of years before a church ever showed up. Baptism is not Christian in a sense being new. It's always been. Yeah. And it's just a part of our faith because our faith is Jewish. Baptism at that point was almost as old as Christianity is today. Mm-hmm. That's just the, the way it is. In the Middle Eastern world, they understand the power of baptism. I have a friend of mine. Are we have almost out of time. Now you got 15 seconds. I have a friend of mine. Uh, born and raised in the Middle Eastern world. He got born again. He wanted to get baptized. The missionary who got him born again said, I'm not going to baptize you because I know what will happen to you. Long story short, he finally does baptize my friend after about three years of him badgering him. All right, so I hope everybody understands now the significance of Jesus going down and meeting with John and being baptized by John. And I never thought about it's the only time in the Bible you see all three mentions of the Godhead brought together. Mm. That's pretty interesting. Yep. Oh, there. There's different views on that, but yes. <laughs> but yes. As the, the, the one guy in the group. See, that, he, he, I'm looking over. You saw that on Mevo, yeah. too, today. Yes, you did, right. didn't you? You saw his face. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on with another question yep. here. 
I'm tell you what, Scott. I'm going to move you over yep. here to this microphone. Sure. That way, Billy can be seen by. He's doing a pretty good job of hiding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, We're not and that's let not that an happen. easy task. So. <laughs> okay, so if you're moving, let me read this as I'm as you're moving. I've heard of people calling themselves apostles. Do we still have apostles today? What about prophets? Well, I suppose it depends on how we're going to use those two words. Um, if we use them in their broadest senses, um, as in one who has witnessed something, um, then yes, I suppose we could apply those um, terms. If we're going to talk about what they meant biblically, uh, no. Um, I don't really think we can. Now, I know lots of people who, do, who, who go by both of those titles. Uh, generally, the term prophet was used to refer to someone who was a national prophet, um, when we talk about the prophets, they were they were prophesying to the nation. Um, I believe that that era is by and large on hold at this point. Now we know there are a couple of prophets coming, and they're going to call Israel to repentance. Um, so I can't say that era is over, um, but I don't see God uh, tasking individual men and women in this day and age to stand up and um, prophesy to an entire nation. Uh, and I'll kick that your way because you look like you have something to add. Yeah, um, I think this this might be a, a little bit of an area of uh, divergence between Billy and I. I do believe that the uh, there are still apostles and prophets today. I I would also agree with him though that I don't think that we have prophets one voice that stands up and speaks right. for a nation as we see happening. But are there apostles today? I do believe that they are. The the part of the a part of the scariness about this word apostle is the fact that it's a transliterated word and not right. a translated word. And just for those who don't know, a transliterated word is a word that we took out of an original language and just stuck it in English and made it sound English. For example, the word baptism is not an English word. It's a Greek word called baptismo, and we took it out of Greek and stuck it in English and called it baptism. So we didn't actually translate it. If we translated it, it would have been to be completely submerged. Immersed. Okay, so um, if, that, if that word would have been translated and not transliterated, we would not have sprinkling today. We would not have be dipping. We would right. not have water hosing or whatever else people do. <laughs> it would just be it would just be submersing because the word is defined. The same thing is true with gospel. And we can go through a lot of words. Christ is not translated. Mm-hmm, it should right. be the anointed one. So, or the one who is anointed. So, uh, and apostles the same one. It's the word. Shiliach in Hebrew, uh, and it basically means a sent one. Right. Do we have sent ones today? Did God send people? Does God send people to nations, to cities, to do things? The answer to that question is absolutely yes. So in, yes. The, in the basics, in the most elementary sense, God does still have apostles. Are there people equipped today to write scripture like the other apostles? No, because the Bible in the book of Revelation. Those days are done. Yes. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation there are what was called the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Period. So there were 12 apostles of the Lamb that were graced by God to write Scripture. But were there more apostles? Of course. Barnabas was apostle. Paul was apostle. Right. So there's, there's different, I think, different, I don't know what to call it, degrees or levels, but there is a difference. And prophets are the same way. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, it actually says, and when he ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to men. And then it lists the gifts. Right. And he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Then it goes on and says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, till we all come into the unity of the body of Christ. And to a perfect man. And so the question is, are we a perfect man? No. Are we in the unity of the faith? No. Are we still children tossed to and fro? Yes. So if these gifts were given for the perfecting of the saints, are we perfect yet? No. So if we're not perfect yet, the gifts must still be in play to some level and some degree. Right. Right. So I would say, yes, they still exist. Do they exist in the sense that we 
typically identify them in our head with a, a one voice to a nation as a prophet or a 12 apostles of the Lamb, not in that way, right. in that sense. And, and we, don't, we don't diverge there. That, that right. was what I was attempting to communicate. Okay, but perfect. yes, uh, there are individuals who are called. They're just not, we don't see, and I, I was struggling for the word because I wanted to use the word level, and that's, that's not bad either. I mean, that's not good either. But we don't see the same calling right. um, that we saw with that first generation of apostles today. Mm-hmm. There are still, I mean, it's, you've got the five, and the five have got to be dealt with. Yep. Uh, and therefore, being listed among the five, they still exist. There's no doubt about that. Yep. All right, another question. I like to have Dr. Stewart, and they said, Pastor Hess, but he's not here today, so it'll fall upon you, Billy. Alrighty. <laughs> Tell us the story of how you came to faith. Could you ask them to share their testimony with the radio audience? I like this because we've never been asked this question uh, before. Um, and uh, for me, it starts off at a very, at a very young, tender age of, um, of nine years old. Um, and, uh, my, uh, I was, um, not, uh, my mother was born again. My father was not at this time. And so, um, I was typically, um, taken to church only periodically. Um, my grandmother, uh, they used to say that I used to stay with my grandmother once, uh, once a month or once a week in, uh, on the weekend. And according to her, I used to, we used to go from Genesis to Revelation every single week. We'd sit down and I would ask questions throughout the whole Bible, and she would teach me every single uh, um, weekend. And, um, and so um, as I grew asking all these questions, um, I eventually started going, people started coming by and picking me up and taking me to church. Long story short, as a nine-year-old boy, I made the decision in my heart that I did believe uh, the gospel. And so um, we had the, the pastor of the church came over, and uh, I still remember this today. I'm sitting in, in my living room, and he takes a he takes um, uh, something in his hand. I forget what it was. And he takes it and he throws it in the room. He throws it towards the table and he misses the table and it falls short. And uh, he says, "He says, what happened there?" And I said, "Well, you tried to throw that onto the table and you you fell short. You missed it." And he said, "Exactly." And he used that analogy to tell me how we all fall short of the goal, which is the the goal of Jesus. That's pretty good. It is, good. It is pretty good. <laughs> Like you went to seminary or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that to that get happened. that, huh? Yeah. yeah, interesting that that happened at nine. Uh, so, uh, my story actually starts a little earlier. I was uh, born into a family where my father was already a pastor. So I, I tell people that I cut my teeth on the bottom of a pew. Um, probably at times, likely the actual thing that happened there, yeah. chewing on the bottom of a pew. But um, it was nine years old when my father preached a sermon, uh, and uh, he was. He was very much a fire and brimstone sort of Pentecostal preacher, and mm. uh, he was taking someone to task about not reading their Bible. And that, as a nine-year-old, that kind of settled in my soul. So I decided to sit down and read my Bible from cover to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a nine-year-old, that was a bit of a feat. But at some point in that reading, I got to the point where it says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And I'm sitting in the home of a Trinitarian pastor. And um, this kind of shook my world a little bit. So that night, it just so happens, just so happens as it does with God, that that night was my night to bless dinner. So uh, I blessed dinner in the name of Jesus Christ only. Uh, at which point, we got to have a long throw discussion, uh, but being the precocious individual that I was at the time, uh, didn't really sway me. I'd read it in black and white, and I'd been taught 
since I could read that if it's in black and white and it's in the book, then it's true regardless mm-hmm. of what anyone – and there was his mistake – what anyone else said. Okay. So um, it, it didn't take me long before I also got to um, the New Testament and I tried to get from – Friday night to Sunday morning and couldn't count three days and three nights, and I knew we had problems. So um, while I've been in church all of my life, the journey that I'm on now, the, my Hebraic um, journey, really started when I was nine and then um, started maturing after I was out of my parents' home, obviously, and was free to pursue that uh, more fully. Yeah. Right. yeah but that's that, but that's what I That's when I, I prayed the prayer there in that in that living room, and then the next, the next Sunday the pastor said, I'd like for you to walk the aisle as a public testimony of what you believe and i still remember to this day dave i must have had on really uh had hard, hard shoes on it was a wooden floor church click clack click from the yeah. back walking up the um walking up the the front how old were you when you got born again seven years old you were seven, seven. yeah under my grandfather he was a oh. southern baptist preacher he was oh, preaching man. and i just you know it was probably a typical gospel message that he gave and i just remember Remember that it just made sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I I went forward, and I, uh, I I accepted Christ at that moment. Knew what He had done for me. No, and then we did baptisms the following week. Yeah, because we were at a we were at East Gary Baptist Church, and they didn't have a baptism, so we went over to Hessville to do the baptism. Mm-hmm. Probably it was it was in February. I remember that it was just after my birthday. Oh, well, this and is February. So yeah, so yeah. my birthday, birthday was birthday. <laughs> yeah, my birthday was Friday. So anyway, I stepped down in the water. It wasn't my my grandfather? He had already gone back to Paducah, Kentucky. But the heater didn't work in the baptism. <laughs> and my mom, until the day she died, would start laughing and talking about that and said, you walked in and you went, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, but yeah, that, that's how it happened. Oh, me. man, yeah. You know, it was, a, it, my grandfather told me before he died, that was the highlight <laughs> of his ministry. Leading you to the Absolutely. Lord. Yeah. yeah. He thought that was great. He um, says, beautiful. good things for you, son, coming. Amen. All right. Amen. All right. Dear Bible Guys, two questions here. As I listen to the Bible Guys segment on the Dave Ellswick Show, I cannot help but believe that you are firm in your belief that we must look to the Jewishness of Jesus to understand him and his words correctly. However, if he sent his gospel into the Greek world, shouldn't that be taken into account as well? How do you use Hebrew ways in a Greek world and it make sense? Yeah, it's a good a good question. Um, and I would compare this to well, first of all, um, you the you, you it's the, the the message does not change. Right. The vehicle you might use to declare the message might be a little bit different. And when I when I say that, what I mean is I have lived uh, over half of my life outside the country. My wife and I have lived in um, nine different nations. And every time I would go into that nation, I'm carrying the the Hebrew Messiah, the, 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 the God of the Hebrews, the, the Jewish Messiah, into Sweden, into Finland, into Norway, into Iceland, into Switzerland, everywhere we would go and we would live. So the way I would communicate that truth would modify based upon the culture I was in, and we can call these Greek cultures, but the message wouldn't change. So the message of God translates into any language you want it to be in, 
but you can never strip away the truth of that message. You can never make Jesus something other than what he was. He was the Jewish Messiah, and you can say right. that in any language. And you may not be speaking Hebrew, but your your method of communication changes. Let's give me a real quick example, and I'll pass it over to Billy. You have Paul. He's in Athens, and what does he do? He sees a statue, and he says, and it says at the bottom of the statue, unknown to the unknown God. God. He says, let me tell you about that God. Now, come on. Right. It's an idol. Come on. It's a probably a horrible-looking thing, or maybe it's just a blob, or maybe it's just a stone. And he says, let me tell you about that God. So he uses the culture that he's in as a platform to communicate the same gospel he preached in Ephesus and right. every, in, in Antioch and everywhere. So the message doesn't change. The vehicle changes. So you can take the Hebrew words into any Greek world. You just don't. You just don't change the uh, the message, right? And I would say the question here itself says a lot, um, because the question says the gospel being sent to the Gentile world, the Greek world. Um, understand that it took years and years and years and a couple of decades before the gospel left Israel and went out to the Gentile world, and. As descendants of the Gentile world, we tend to focus on that side. But understand, that's one apostle who went out there and eventually took some others with him, but that's one apostle out in the Gentile world. The others are all still back at home, and they're still doing the thing just like they had always been doing the thing. Uh, we tend to focus on uh, the Gentile side of that, A, because Paul was such a prolific writer, and B, because we are, we are descended from that um, that culture. So we see that culture, we focus on that culture, but it, it was it was never, uh, and, and if we come back to Andy Stanley, we'll loop back in that, it was never a desire for the Hebrew world to become more Gentile-like. It was a desire for the Gentile world to become more Hebrew-like. Agreed. And in that note, we remember the Apostle Paul said this. He said, um, to a barbarian, I became like a barbarian. Mm-hmm. To, um, to the Greeks, I became like a Greek. I became all things to all men that I might win some. But Paul never compromised his uh, right. his message. You, you can see that throughout all the writings. He's, you see him telling the Corinthians, keep the feast. What feast? He's talking about the feast of uh, Passover. To the Colossians, he says, don't let anybody judge you for observing holy days and feast days and what you eat and what you drink. Don't let anybody. So he's he takes with him uh, everywhere he goes, the essence of the Hebraic nature of the gospel, but he just delivers it in a way that is palatable right. and they can understand. Even Paul even says this, as even some of your own poets have said, he's even quoting Greek poets to people yep. to convey the message of uh, of the uh, of the Messiah. Some people make a big deal out of, well, we are Christians. They make a big deal out of the, the name Christian. The only reason why we're called Christians is because the gospel left the Hebrew world and the Greeks said, What do we call these people? Right. And they said, Well we call them the fall they call them the followers of the Messiah. Well what's the word Messiah in Greek? Uh Christ. Okay, then they're the Christians. Right. It, it's not some brand it's not a new thing. It's not ooh, it's a new religion. It's a new faith. It's just how do we communicate who they are? So many people don't realize this, yeah they were called Christians in Antioch, but what were they called before they were in Antioch? They must have been called something. Mm-hmm. And they're still called today what they were called back then. They're called Notzrim today. And they're still called this very same thing. Why? Because in he, in Israel, you speak Hebrew. You leave that, you adopt Greek. And the way you say notzim, in not really, but the the the, the word is basically Christian when you get outside the uh, the nation of Israel. Right. All right. So that's uh, got another we, question. We must for also you. we must also understand that Paul always did his best to go to Jews first, even when he was yep. in the Gentile world. He went to the synagogues first. That's right. Every he, he never left that foundation. Every 
church that started that Paul started had a he had a Jewish pastor. Right. And uh, and obviously they conveyed to over the, to them the the Jewishness of Messiah. All right. Quickly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, can a Christian date a non-Christian? Mm-hmm. I know I shouldn't marry them if they are not believers, but can I date someone if they are open to faith in hopes of leading them to Jesus? I would appreciate your thoughts. <laughs> Do you really want our thoughts on that? Um, uh, uh, I would say this, that you're, you're probably setting yourself up for a lot of heartache um, to put yourself in a relationship um, to get attached to somebody that does not know uh, the Messiah. My ca- counsel to you would be not to to date them. Yep. Uh, uh, if you believe there is, po- maybe, maybe if you have something in your heart, maybe there is a future with this person and you are you know, determined to do stuff with them, then let your date be at church on Sunday morning or at church on Sabbath or at church on Wednesday night. Uh, my wife, before we got together, she had a lot of guys that wanted to uh, date her, and she would say, sure, I'd be happy to go out with you at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. There you what? Go. And she said, yeah. oh, you meet me at church. <laughs> I mean, that, w- that was the date place. You want to be with me? You're going to sit beside me in church? We're going to hear the Word of God. And so if you really have someone in your life that you are interested in that's your date place right, right. and if you're going to go out afterwards and have a meal with somebody guess what you're, you're going with all your friends but you're not you're not dating this person um with the hopes of converting them you want to convert them sit down and bring the gospel witness to them but don't try to use um you know a relationship and emotion as a vehicle to make that happen and and, and i will parrot that uh, my short answer is no my longer answer is why are you considering a dating relationship to begin with? You're pursuing one of two things. You're either the desire is to progress that along to a marriage, right. and you've already stated you understand you can't marry this person, or your desire is for physical and emotional gratification, shall we say, um, in which case you're hooking yourself to something that's going to be extraordinarily difficult to pull away from should that individual never end up um, it, where you need them to be spiritually. So, and a, and a lot of times, you know, a lot of times when when push comes to shove, unfortunately, it's a lot of times it's the the believer who lowers their standard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody once said, it's much easier to pull somebody down that's climbing a ladder ahead of you than to pull somebody up. And yeah. so, a lot of times you find yourself compromising. Oh, because they have a good. You find yourself compromising because you see something in them, and you wind up getting hurt. And sometimes you wind up losing your faith. Not the road you want to no. uh, to go down. So, stay away. Stay away. Right. And bring them to church. That's your date place. Okay, a break, and then we'll come back. We got a few moments. I think what we'll do is just talk about the school. I was I was oh. right about this. All right, we got. A minute and a half here. A minute and a half. Yeah, right. so tell them about the school. All right. We have a school. It is called the American Institute. Um, you can go to AmericanInstitute.org. So you can learn about the Jewishness of Absolutely. Jesus. Absolutely. You can learn about the Jewishness of Jesus. You can learn uh, the Hebrew language, the Hebrew culture. You can learn to approach the Bible in the way that the first century people approach the Bible. It is, if you want to learn more about the scripture, it is going to be the school for you. It's online. You can do it at the leisure of your, in your own home. You can do it at your own pace. It's extremely, extremely affordable, $50 to register the classes. You can audit the classes. You don't have, that means you can get to, to listen to the classes, take the, get the uh, notes. You don't have to take an exam. Or if you want to get the degree, you can get the exams, take the test. It's, it's purpose built for you. What if you wanted to teach this to a life group? Can you do that? Yeah, you know what you could do. You could um, you could um, you could stream the class if you wanted. That's to stream. what I'm saying. How long is each class? Each class is about between 35 and 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah, yep. you think can stream that it. Sounds like my yep. next life group. Yeah, you, you can stream it. It'd be All great. Right. 
we're out of time. Tomorrow, uh, I didn't, I don't mention in my promo, but let me just mention it now. Uh, Congressman French Hill will be on the show uh, around three o'clock, and he will be here at the Capitol. See you tomorrow, two o'clock from the State Capitol, the Dave Ellswick Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>